forgot what I'm thinking about. And then I heard this podcast, actually speaking of podcasts, and it's from a missionary um, that is in the Ivory Coast. So for my 10 minutes this morning, I'm going to share this podcast clip, and I want you guys to listen to it. I think it's extremely insightful, extremely helpful. Uh, there's a missionary to uh, in Senegal right now, Joshua Mead. Him and his family have been serving in Senegal for about 10 years, and um, he's interviewing this missionary to the Ivory Coast. Still there, uh, I have high respect for, his name is Bob Mack. Bob Mack has been serving there for many years. God's really used him in West Africa. Uh, to do a great thing. He's planted several churches, has a Bible institute, has camps. Um, God has really, really used this man. And one, one unique thing about Bob Mack is he has a daughter with special needs. She has Down syndrome, and uh, they've raised their daughter in the mission field um, in West Africa um, with, that, with that syndrome. And so it kind of perked Tristan, mine, mine and Tristan's attention, of course, when it comes to living with a, a daughter with special needs. Uh, Lainey has Charge syndrome, a little bit different than Down syndrome. Um, but with severities, they just range um, and with a lot of similarities as well. So uh, it, they've just been kind of an inspiration to us recently. And so I don't have a, I don't have a speaker. I think this might work. I'm going to see if it will. If you guys can't hear over there, Jacob, I think you'd probably be the farthest. Um, I'm just going to turn it as, as loud as I can. I want you guys to hear this because he basically starts out the interview. They talk about a lot of ministry in the Ivory Coast, talk about how God has worked, what God has done, uh, some, some insight. This man is sent from Cleveland Baptist Church in Ohio, and um, some of us are familiar with that church, and some of us have been up, some of our missionaries have been up there. They support some of our missionaries, um, and he has a lot of insight from, he's asking future missionaries, so this would be all of us here in this room, what are some, what's some advice you would give to the younger generation? What's some advice you would give to the next generation coming up, coming to the mission field? And a lot of the things that he says is really insightful. I want you to hear it. And I think it's worth uh, taking time. It's, he, he, he says it a lot better than I could ever say it, especially from, with a man of experience who's been on the mission field. And um, I think it would be helpful for you. So just, just to give you a little bit of context, he's coming from the perspective of, you know, this is what I would recommend. He's going to mention a statistic about how many missionaries have left the Ivory Coast. We made pause and look at that just for a second. But I thought it'd just be fitting for just my time this morning to just let you hear this. Um, I think it'd be good. So we'll see if we can, we can hear it okay. If not, then maybe we'll have to. What are, some, what are some things as you see a younger generation coming to the mission field and from the many years you've, you've been on the mission field, let's start with firstly, what are some things you've observed in missionaries, maybe an attitude, an approach that was flawed, that what missionaries got wrong maybe about their approach, their family life that, you know, a lot of missionaries leave the field and maybe it was just one little thing they could have tweaked uh, in an approach that they just didn't change. What's maybe some things you've observed in missionaries that, that they got wrong, that they should have changed, or even in your own life, things that you changed maybe that you learned. And then for a young guy coming in, a young family, a husband and wife, um, what are some things that they maybe they should have in mind, you know, given that idea of sometimes we have a Western mentality of doing things. What's the quickest way to kind of learn to adapt to the culture and accept things? And we'll just kind of close out with that. Well, Josh, since 1994, there have been 30 independent Baptist missionaries that have left the Ivory Coast. So uh, we wow. have observed this and, and watched it happen. And there are, in fact, many reasons, many different reasons that can provoke that. But uh, the one 
that seems uh, the most important to me is this. You know, for many years, we kind of got in a pattern in the States to where, you know, an individual feels the word calling them to mission. So we shoot them off to Bible college and there's not much contact with them while they're there. And finally they graduate in May and they get married that summer and they start deputation that fall because, you know, bless God, they, they just absolutely have to get to the mission field as fast as they possibly can. Um, and the fact of the matter is number one, they never did do the ministry really in any real context over, for any real period of time. So they did the academics and they went to the right. classes, but there was never a time where somebody said, you know, you are in charge of this ministry for the next six months or for the next year. Uh, there was never a time where they were in the same place with the intent of working full-time in the ministry to see how effectively they did win people to Christ. You know, there was never a time where you could check out how is he right. as an elder? How is he as a pastor or a shepherd? How is he as a bishop? Is he able to do these things? The fact of the matter is churches are ordaining these guys and authorizing them and sending them out without any real idea whatsoever as to whether or not they can actually do the job. And for me, that's very problematic. Hmm. I think that a local church needs hmm. to recognize its responsibility when it puts a man into the mission, into, into the ministry, excuse me, when it puts a man into the ministries. And as such, you know, we read in the scriptures that if God is calling a man into the ministry, then God will give to that man what he needs in order to successfully accomplish the ministry. So mm -hmm. the simple fact that a young man stands up and says, God's called me to be a missionary does not mystically make it so. I really think at that point in time, it is for his local church now to engage with them and say, okay, you feel the Lord calling you into missions. Let's work on that. And as he goes off to Bible college, I mean, we're actually paying attention to his grades. We may even have a conversation with a professor or two to find out where he is strong, where he is weak, as he is considering life mates, who's going to be his wife, his Local pastors, local church is helping him in that decision because it recognizes its responsibility to confirm that, yes, God has, in fact, called this young man into the ministry. Once he has received his degree, we're going to bring him back. We're going to set him up full time in the church. We're going to have him work on staff as best as we can. And we're even going to tell the church. So and so is here now. They're doing an internship. He feels the Lord is directing him to the ministry. It's our responsibility to confirm that that is indeed the case. And so we're going to watch him as he does this. You see, in this way, the missionary really begins to understand that he does have a sending agency. He does have a place where he's anchored. He does have a place from which he is thrust out into his missions career. And I, I think oftentimes that's what really makes the difference. I know that oftentimes with missions, we're very much afraid of the missionary candidate doing an internship in a stateside church. And we have fear of that because number one, we don't want them to get detoured. We're afraid if they start that internship, then they'll just stay on that pastoral staff forever and they'll never go to the field. Or, 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 or number two, we'll say working in a stateside church is nothing like working on a church on the mission field. Therefore, it's a complete waste of time. But in my opinion, both of those are completely forgetting the fact that 
if this local church is going to ordain them and authorize them to go, they ought to absolutely know something about him and whether or not he right. does, in fact, have the abilities and the capabilities necessary to get this job done. Uh, I'm not going to go into any detail, but of the 30 that came out here to the Ivory Coast, there's a significant number of them that could not serve on most of the pastoral staffs in the churches in the United States of America. And if they couldn't serve mm -hmm. there, why are we sending them here? The idea of the mission field is not a place to send your rejects. I'm sorry, but ministering in a new language and in a new culture is infinitely more challenging than ministering in one's own language and in one's own culture. And so yeah. when it comes to missions, let's have our candidates prove themselves ministerially to their local churches so that when they send them out, they're doing so intelligently, knowing that God has, in fact, given to this person what they're going to need to accomplish the ministry. And just to end with this, Josh, one of the benefits of that is it will render that candidate a little bit more mature. And having a little bit of maturity before you come to the mission field is not a bad idea. All right, so that kind of ends a little bit of what they were topic they were discussing. But I was just dwelling. I was thinking about this as well. When it, when we think about, um, I mean, all of our desire in here is, is missions, of course. But we want longevity, right? We want to be able to be on the field for an extended period of time. There's no point uh, in raising a lot, of, all this money, and having all these churches behind you to go for, you know, a couple years and then burn out, and then go for a couple years and burn out. But it seems to be, and this is just from deputation traveling. Uh, it seems to be very, very common for this to happen. Um, and we're all dreamers, right? We all want to go do something. We all want to go, go do something that God's put in our heart to do. Um, very few of us in here are veterans or have an understanding of the, of the mission field when it comes to a long-term ministry. Even if we're missionary kids, it's still different uh, going and doing the job ourselves. And so my challenge following this podcast and just kind of launching off would be a couple things. It'd be, number one, um, what ministry are we doing here, right? If we can't do ministry here, then what makes us think we would do ministry over, over there? Um, I think you said something very interesting. It, it, it's like if you're going into a church to, to represent, you're going to be deputized by that, that local congregation. If, if you do not feel confident enough or that church doesn't feel confident enough to even hire you on staff, uh, to, to be an outreach pastor, a discipleship pastor, a children's director, a youth pastor or ladies, even, even in a ministry area of your own, um, then, then it'd almost be disingenuous to then ask them to support you for the rest of your life at a hundred dollars a month. Does that make sense? And so he, he's, he's hitting on something that I think is a problem in, in missions. And it is that a lot of people don't have experience and I'm speaking for myself as well. So it's a challenge to my own, my own self and thinking about even, even in college and what, what did I really do to leave a, a, a lasting impact to say, would my home church um, consider me valid enough to either even pay me to do ministry? And I think that's a question you need to ask to each and every one of your pastors, your home church, not, not just sit them down and be like, would you hire me? It's just like, hey, where am I at? Would you give me a scale of where I'm at between you and your pastor? Everybody has their own pastor. And if your pastor has that approval on your life, then I think that's a big thing. But I've, I've dealt with, I've had several conversations with many individuals that I do not have confidence in. 
and they have showing desires for ministry, showing desires for missions. And, and I think he hit this, he hit this nail straight on the head. And this is a guy with a lot of ministry experience who speaks the language, who's been in a different culture, who's raised a disabled child in the mission field, who's God's using to plant churches and he's speaking from wisdom. Um, and so I think it's kind of a checkup from the neck up for a lot of us in this room to say, what, um, you know, I have a dream and a desire, but if this is not practically lived out in my life, uh, now, then, then why in the world uh, do I think it's just going to magically appear in the future? And it's going to save us from a lot of heartache, I think, a lot of, a lot of hurt. And then our ultimate result, desire is longevity, right? We want to stay in the field for as long as God allows us to stay in the field. And so um, those are just a few kind of general things. That any, any questions about that? Anything that you guys, maybe Jeff, you can kind of speak to, having the experience seeing missionaries come and go from Argentina, um, kind of a, like kind of launch pad of discussion there. And so I, it was a little bit, it was a little bit um, unusual this morning. And I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I think it was really helpful. I found it helpful. I hope you did as well. But Jeff, maybe you can take it from there. Yeah. My wife and I were in college. Uh, the Mac family would come through and uh, preached many times in the, the missions conference uh, at Crown in Knoxville. And uh, my wife would watch their kids and got very close to Becky Mac, the, the wife. And uh, she thinks highly of them. And so I read, they've got a uh, biography on him. Uh, Monroe Rourke wrote a biography, and it is phenomenal on the life of, I mean, he's still serving. He's, you know, um, sometimes a biography is after somebody has already passed away, but um, Bob Mack is doing a marvelous job, and the biography is just amazing of what God's done. Um, So I'm working on a project in my own um, life right now and on principles of missions, principles that I think everybody should know, maybe the indigenous principle, uh, a lot of different principles. Well, this one uh, that I'm, I'm working on currently, it's called the stickability principle. And, uh, and it goes right in here. And so I've written down five different areas, and I want you to write these down. Uh, and I want you to think about them, and we could even talk about them. Uh, the stickability principle. Let me tell you where it comes from. Um, kind of, uh, thank you, sir. I'm going to scoot it right over here. Um, so I surrendered to be a missionary when I was 16. And uh, I remember some of my friends there in the, uh, the youth group, they also surrendered at the same time. And uh, several of us did. There were probably four or five of us. And over the years, uh, different things have happened. And, uh, you know, courses have taken them different ways, some uh, because of a divorce, some because of um, rough issues in their life, different things. And, and that seems like that's like all of our life, right? You know, somebody may as a kid want to do something that doesn't always. And um, how, how do we stick with what God's given us? By all, you know, uh, by all means, if God changes your heart uh, legitimately and if something happens, then you need to follow the Lord, right? Uh, sometimes we don't want to disappoint a person, right? We don't want to let down somebody. But remember, biblically, one of the hardest things we can do, I'm probably, by nature, I'm a people pleaser. And uh, that's something that um, God has had to take me through the ringer and um, because a lot of decisions that I would make or that I have made, I, I want to. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to. Um, but ultimately, the Acts chapter 4 principle is I'd rather please God than man, right? And sometimes even that might be your parents or somebody that you love or respect or whatever you have to say. That doesn't mean somebody's wicked or wrong or like, you know, don't be silly. But you have to ultimately follow what you believe God wants for your life. And so you have to be in tune with what God wants. Now, 
you all, all of us want to move the direction that God has for us. Nevertheless, many times we move because of, you know, people around the world, because of maybe money in their life, maybe because they're following a job, maybe because they're following a, a girl or a guy, or maybe their feelings or offense or whatever. So uh, I wrote down some different um, stickability principles, things that have, uh, I read several different books and I talked to several different people, why people leave the mission field or ministry or, you know, maybe jump off the track that God has for them. And there's plenty of reasons that we would jump off the track. There's a lot of joy stealers in life today, right? Uh, you don't have to necessarily be in missions or ministry to realize that there's a lot of things that will try to steal your joy, right? Um, and we know that. So let me give you a couple of different uh, things that'll help you um, as that you could stick where God has planted you. Number one, uh, one reason, the top reason that I believe, there's going to be five, top reason that I believe that many abandon, uh, maybe veer off to the side, not to make it a, a crude statement, but many people leave, maybe the path that God has them, number one would be mental. Now, when I say mental, I'm not talking about, you know, a, a joke or saying something in a crude manner. I'm saying the mental aspect, uh, I believe truly that spiritual warfare the majority of the spiritual warfare is in your mind. If you're a child of God, remember, what is it, Matthew uh, 10, verse number 28, 29, 30, right there, he said, don't fear what man can do to you. You know, the, the um, fear what God can. You know, God holds the soul. Um, you know, the devil might, and if you're a child of God, the devil can't grab your soul and take you to hell. But he can make you so fearful, make you so scared, make you so that he almost paralyzes you. And many Christians, therefore, don't witness. They don't go forward. They don't, you know, do anything. There's a mental battleground. And uh, we get into it many times. What does uh, Matthew 13, 58 say? That Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. Unbelief. So the Lord wanted to work. Was it because God couldn't work? No, but because of their unbelief. And when you get to the mission field or anywhere in life, all these questions come up. I don't think that I can learn this language. I don't think I have enough money. I don't think people are going to accept me. I don't think that I'm ever going to fit in. I don't think that, what if something happens to me? I remember um, in Argentina, we made a decision. Uh, my family made a decision that we weren't going to watch the local news. And I realize that might seem uh, very extremist for you, and that's okay. We all make our decisions. And uh, we weren't going to watch the news because the news uh, where we lived in, in Buenos Aires, it was very crude. In other words, they would not just say that somebody died. A lot of the accidents were, you know, maybe somebody on a motorcycle. And uh, so they would say uh, another, you know, another death today. And, you know, on, on Calle 19 right here in, in, in La Plata. And here's the body. And then they would show it. And like just this guy laying on the ground. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, sometimes they would put a little rag over his head. And you'd see this blood everywhere. And I'm like, you think that's covering it up? Like everybody's watching, they're like, there's a, a, a raping in this neighborhood. And I'm like, are you serious right now? I mean, they would announce really bad, dumb things. And it would send you into a fear, you know, like, oh my goodness, somebody's in my neighborhood or, you know, they're vandalizing and they're hurting people and I'm just crazy stuff. And I'm like, and I told my wife, we're not watching the local news. Why? Because let's be honest, whether you watch it or not, it doesn't change reality, Right. 
but your fear that you sense at that moment causes you, I don't want to go out of my house. I don't want to witness to others. I don't want to go into those neighborhoods. I'm not saying that be uh, ignorant towards all that's going on. Obviously, there's certain times here in Atlanta, everybody knows like underground Atlanta is neat. Not after 8 p.m. it's not. You know, I'm like, let, you know, let's not be dumb. We don't go in certain places and we don't do certain things. But, uh, so we want to know, and you could find out that, but don't watch and don't allow things to go into your mind. What is 2 Corinthians, what is it? Chapter 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. He says, all these things that come into your mind, take them captive unto the obedience of Christ. In other words, don't just say, yes, that's true, whatever you hear or whatever's going on or the news or whatever. You take that and say, is this of God? And what's your litmus test to know if it's of God? He said, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure. and let, I mean, you know it, right? You don't want me to sing it. Whatsoever things are true and honest, whatsoever things are just and pure, whatsoever things are lovely, that's more than you wanted, right? But anyway, um, and of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So if it's not virtuous, and if it's not, I mean, biblically, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room right there, right? You say, yeah, but let's be honest, you've got, you've got to listen to, and the Lord said, if it's not, don't think on those things. So whatever it is, you grab it and you take them captive. What if something happens to my kids when we're overseas? Real fears for us. I mean, you hear all kinds of different things. Like, oh, Lord, what if all these, you know, I remember my kids would get um, the, the dengue fever, which is a, um, the South American version of malaria. I'm like, oh, Lord, what do we do? I remember several different things happened that were kind of out of my control. I said, oh, Lord, what do we do? And I had no idea, and I was scared about different things. That, that cannot control us. And the mental, many times, you know what culture shock is? It's a mental game. It is, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't like this. It's out of my comfort. Everybody does everything weird. The food's weird. The people are weird. They talk weird. Everything. This is nuts. Now, nobody else is feeling that. I mean, they're all you know, going around buying their hamburgers and, you know, getting on the bus and enjoying life. And like, you're like, everybody's weird here. And they're looking at you like, ah, we're pretty good here. You know, and that mental game, it takes many people down. And many Christians live in discouragement today. And they are fruitless and useless for our Lord. And I'm not trying to to speak in a rude manner, I'm saying when we become paralyzed, you still have the body, but your arms doesn't do what your mind tells it to do. And many Christians, they've got the calling of God and they've got the gifts of God, yet they, they can't do it because their mind says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And we're paralyzed. Be very careful. There's a mental game out there. And just to show you that it's not like, uh, I'm wicked for feeling this way. Don't forget, um, a, the, the, the marvelous uh, Elijah, the prophet of God who called down fire from God. God consumed the 50, and then here comes 50 more. You remember? Uh, Ahab sends 50 more, and he's like, if, if my God be God, then consume these 50. Boom, here comes the, the third 50. Like, oh, great man of God, do not burn us with fire. You know, we do not want to be Boston butts. You know, like, leave us alone. Like, I mean, they were all chilled out. This great man of God, then he preaches 1 Kings chapter 18. If my God be the God, let him consume this fire, which is awesome because, uh, you know, he had all the 400 prophets bail. Hey, guys, why don't you, let's see who the real God is today. Israel, y'all are the judges here. I want you to know who to choose. So let's see. 400 prophets bail. Go ahead. Now, all right. Now, go ahead and pour a little bit of water. Now, 
let's see, call out from the God. And then he stands over there mocking. I, I love that passage. He's like, uh, hey, is your God asleep? <laughs> you know, like, you know, uh, oh, maybe he's on vacation, big boys. You're like, I'm like, this is so awesome. You know, the, the mocking of this man of God, like, you're like, hey, you know, oh, maybe you should yell a little bit louder. He's deaf, you know, like, and like these guys are up there cutting, you know, themselves and all this. Here comes nightfall. And he said, all right, we've had enough of your shenanigans. All right. Let's see. Guys, would you put some water? Yeah, I mean, let's build a big old ditch. Would you put water around that ditch? Okay, can you bring some more water? More water, please. Can you pour some water on top of the sacrifice? How about a little bit more? That's not enough. Oh, it's wet? Good. A little bit more? Okay, good. And then he stops and says, God, if you're the real God, and I know you are, then send fire down from heaven. And as a fire down from heaven, like a tongue that just licks it all up, consumes it, and then he looks and he says, let's get rid of the prophets of Baal. Now you saw who the real God is. And everybody's like, yeah, the real God. And then all of a sudden, Jezebel says, I'm going to get that boy. And he's like, no, I'm running. You know, he takes off running. He's like, I'm going to sit in a cave. And this is what he says. You know the passage, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 14. He requested, this is exactly what the Bible says. He requested for himself that he might die. And I'm like, are you serious right now, Elijah? You just were the bad dude on campus. I mean, you were the man. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, there's alpha male, there's Elijah male. I mean, like, you are another category, dude. Like, and now you're scared because of this, you know, painted face lady out there that, you know, is trying to, come on, man. And he said, I, I don't think it's worth me, me living, Lord. How about Jonah? You remember him? I mean, great man of God. God says, go. He's like, no way, dude. I mean, those people and the commentaries say that the, uh, the, the people, the Ninevites, they actually, they, they killed, they went against, they were enemies of Israel. And many times they even, when they would attack, they even cut open the ladies' bellies to pull out the babies and they would, and I don't mean to be crude, but they would kill the babies and smash the baby. They were so nasty that when Jonah heard this from God to go tell them to repent, Jonah's like, no way, these guys are our enemies. We say Jonah was wrong, but like, I mean, that was the most wicked people he could think of. He's like, absolutely not. Well, he takes off on his journey. You know the story. And he's on the boat thinking, you know, he's out there sleeping. Big old storm comes. They said, something's going on here. Skip through the story. And then all of a sudden, they, they wake up Jonah and Joe said, it's me, guys. I'm running from God. And they're like, wait, you know God? Like, you're certainly not acting like it. You're sleeping. I mean, like, come on, man. This is a wake from righteousness and sin not type thing, you know? And like, what are you doing? They're like, he said, okay, just throw me overboard, you know, and, and everything will come. And they didn't want to. They throw everything else. Finally, they throw him over. Big whale, big, you know, uh, fish swallows him. And then all of a sudden, he gets right with God. I mean, hello, I'd get right with God if I, you know, I was in a whale belly. Like, Lord, I think I'm wrong. You know, like, duh. You know, like, and so he wakes up. God gives him, you know, the fish spits him out. God gives him a second chance. He goes down Nineveh. 40 days, 40 nights. Hey, repent. God's going to condemn this place. God's going to send fire. Repent, repent. And then all of a sudden, they all repent. 120,000 that know not from the right hand to the left hand, probably children. So we're talking maybe a half a million people get saved. What a revival. And then all of a sudden, he comes in chapter number four. You remember, he goes up and he sits on the hill and he goes under that tree. And this is what he says to God. It is better for me, Jonah chapter four, verse number three and verse number eight. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Like, are you serious right now? I mean, you know, the, the majority of us will never even see like, you know, I mean, like 
I don't know, a 30th of what you just saw get saved in one day, buddy. You are the man. And now you want to die? So follow with me. When I say this, one of the biggest problems with the, uh, that, that, that people don't stick in, in ministry or mission field or the path that God's laid for them, number one is because of mental. There is a, a fight in your mind and the devil who is one of the names, I mean, you could study it out, but one of the, de- the names of the devil is he's the accuser of the brethren. You remember that? And he accuses us. There's nobody else who plays both sides of the fence. I mean, what a horrible guy. He's over there like, you should look at that. You should look at that. It'll please you. It'll make you happy. You'll feel better. Come on, look at it, dude. Look at it. And then all of a sudden you look at something and you're like, oh man, I feel so dirty. I shouldn't have done that. And then the devil jumps on the other side of the fence. He's like, you wicked, nasty sinner. God could never look at, use you now. Why would you do that? And you're like, wait a minute. You told me to. I mean, he plays both sides of the fence. And the accuser of the brother, man, he makes you feel horrible. And that's why God says over and over, David said, God, you're my refuge, right? And um, doubting is a big part of the, the mental battle. And um, we can lose our desires, a part of the, the battle, that shock. Uh, you know, we can talk about the foreign to familiar book or culture shock book or have we no rights by Mabel Williamson. A lot of different ones. He says, hey, guys, don't let this mental thing get a hold of you. And many missionaries play the, even the comparison game. I'm not. And by the way, comparison game, you always lose. You know Why? Because either you're way better than, so now you're prideful, or you're not as good at, so now you're distraught. I mean, you lose both ways. Like, you know, man, I wish I was, you know, like Bob Mack, he's seen so many things. Like, let's not go there. Let's let the Lord be our, our, our level, you know? Like, he's the one that we're trying to, to, to get up against. Don't go against other men, against other people. We'll never, don't do that. It'll make you prideful. It'll make you discouraged. Either way, if you fall off the right side or the left side of the horse, you still fall off the horse. So don't do that. Okay, so number one, the mental, right? Secondly, um, in the mental battlefield, it's real and it is cruel. Let me give you a second one. Uh, a, a second reason why the stickability principle, many aren't able to stick, is because number two would be money. Now, thank the Lord. Um, you know, you, uh, there, there's very good precedent for, for raising the money. Um, Ty talks to um, all the missionaries about a support amount and what to do and walks you through, and God's been very good. But money, let me just say this, money says more about you than you think it does. Money is a useful tool, but a horrible master. In other words, just because, thank the Lord, you know, some, I've read several different missionary books. I actually just finished one uh, uh, the night before, and it was about this missionary who went to Papua New Guinea. He ended up coming back. He had all these money, and he's saying, throughout the book, he's like, uh, missionaries don't have enough money, and it's a big problem, and that's why they get discouraged. And I'm thinking, well, God's been very good to us. That's not our biggest issue. But the opposite side many times could be money could become greed. I mean, it could cause a lot of greed and we don't, you know, um, I don't know. We, we look at money as the answer. By the way, money never buys anybody ministry. Like because, because you have a certain amount, like that doesn't mean anything. You know, life, marriage, ministry, all of it, it's... Not a bad word, but it's a four-letter word, W-O-R-K. In other words, if you don't work, you know, I mean, you don't have it. So all the money, well, and by the way, money's not going to help you when you're on, you know, the deathbed or when somebody's sick or the kids are down or people don't like you. Or Money doesn't do anything. I mean, we throw money, but it, it doesn't do anything. 
And so money could be, and money says a lot about you. Uh, in other words, I'm not going to go through all of it because you know this, but um, you know where your money is, your treasure is, there was your heart also. So in other words, even with the money, you know, even the Levites, if we go back to the Old Testament, you know, even the Levites, they received from the people, but they gave back a tenth to God. So in other words, just because you're a, a big detriment we could receive uh, be in missions is that you're receiving from everybody because you're receiving one you don't think that you have to give back to God two you become you know start receiving and start putting in pocket and we don't become generous to others like be very careful um, to whom so much is given much is required right Luke 12 48 so God requires a lot we are very blessed and so somebody helps you let me ask you when you receive $20 or $50 or $100 or you receive a gift card or somebody fills up your car with gas or whatever, very soon it could become like, yeah, well, that's just what people do. They gave me a green shake. Yeah, well, that's what people do. Like, no, 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 we should stop. And we should say, you know what? I'm going to write a thank you letter for him. You know what? I'm going to send him a text and say thank you. You know what? I'm going to do that. Like, don't forget, and, and we could become very ungrateful. We could be, become ingrates. And so don't let money uh, start to rule your life. It's uh, more blessed to give than to receive, right? And so you, God's given you a lot. You know, we don't, we don't have to, you know, let's be faithful. One of our, God says that we are stewards, right? First uh, Corinthians 4 and Luke 16, if you're faithful little, you'll be faithful much. You're not faithful little, you won't be faithful much, right? And so with the little that God's given you, let me ask you, with the little God's given you, and, and some of you say, you know, we're students right now and we don't have a lot, let me ask you, with the little that you have, are you faithful with it? Because we can't expect God to give us more when we're not faithful with what we do have. In other words, faithful with what we do have would mean that we put God first. It means we pay our bills. It means we use wisely. You know, sometimes the, and uh, I don't remember, it's in Ecclesiastes, but I don't remember what passage. In chapter, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse number like 11, it says, if you love money, you'll never have enough money, right? But in the, there it says that as the, I don't remember exact words, but as it increase, you know, your salary increases, so do those that consume. In other words, I got more money, and now Verizon's wanting you to pay more, right? And now your car needs more help, right? And now, you know, you got, uh, so in other words, you're like, I got more money, but like, as the, the salary increases, so do all the other things that are eating your salary. So make sure that you keep priorities in your money. Let me give you a third one. And this would be moral. Moral. When I talk about moral, everybody thinks, and, and rightly so, you know, immorality, which is sexual sins. And, but I'm not only talked about that. The definition of moral is concerned with the principle. This comes out of the dictionary. Concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character. Uh, so a lot of times we go to an extreme, but this is what I'm talking about when I say uh, moral, according to the dictionary reference. Moral would be character issues. No, just reference to this, but if they're, just because you arrive in a different spot geographically doesn't change who you are. In other words, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, I'm not saying anything, and I'm certainly not trying to be um, belittling or say anything you right now, stop and think of any character issues that you have. If you don't take care of those things, they're just going to grow. They don't go away. Sometimes we think things go away. No, they don't. They just grow. 
So whether it's um, I have a problem of looking or I have a problem of, of, of saying what I shouldn't say or, you know, to speak on my mind or, man, I get that just ticks me off or I get just really, whatever it is, these things, let's settle them. Um, I don't remember. Maybe it's uh, somebody, if you have your Bible, it's either Proverbs 15.32 or Proverbs 16.32. Um, but it talks about uh, your you controlling, it's self-control is what it is, but um, maybe somebody can help me. Proverbs 15.32 or Proverbs 16.32. Uh, okay, yeah, and keep going. There it is. He that ruleth his spirit is better than he that take a city. So in these times, because, you know, uh, a lot of the, Solomon, so who was Solomon's dad? David. And David had a all these mighty men, and the chief of the mighty men, what was his name, that the, the captain that led the army? You remember? Starts with a Joe and goes with an O-A-A-B afterward. Like, oh, Joab. So um, Joab, you remember that one time David said, you know, when David got Zion, the, you know, city of God, he said, man, because these guys mocked David, said, oh, come on, dude, like someone, a cripple couldn't do this. And David said, whoever conquers that city is going to be captain of the, you know, of my host. And Joab goes through, I think it was this tunnel right there, and Joab conquers the city. Joab, throughout the scripture, many times, he'd walk up to Abner or many, and he'd grab him by the beard, and he'd just whack, he'd just shank him right there, you know, under the fifth rib. And I'm like, how many times does the Bible say under the fifth rib? And half of those, it was Joab doing. I'm like, you are like, he wasn't afraid of anything. He's like, how you doing, my brother? Kiss, whack, you know, like, <laughs> stab. And he's like, hey, good to see you, whack. You know, like, I mean, the guy even had like this one day, he's like, uh, the, the, the servants of Saul and the servants of David. And he's like, let's sit down here at the pool and let's watch them. He's like, you boys go after it. And like, the sport was like, these guys killing those guys. He's like, ah, we've had enough for the day. Let's go home. Like, I'm like, seriously? Like, this guy, he was a bad dude. He conquered a city. And this is what the Bible says. But he who controls his own spirit is better, is greater, stronger, is mightier than he that takes a city. So what does that mean? This self-control, and by the way, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, I used to use this all the time in Argentina. I would say the uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it's like verse number 33 or verse number 34. He says, the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Now, that might not make as much sense. It, it, it opened my eyes when I was reading in Spanish. In Spanish. It says the same, but the, the connotation, the wording, it just helped me out so much because many times they would say, he's uncontrollable. It just can't, he can't do anything about it. And this is, this is what uh, Paul, under the inspiration of God, he said, he can control his spirit. Like, you know, you can't just say, you know, like, I can't do it. And many times that, so their maybe fallacy was uh, the spirit has taken over me. But many times today it's like, I'm so mad I can't control myself. Yes, you can. Like, I, I'm, I'm so much in addiction with, with, with um, you know, saying things I shouldn't or looking at uh, pornography or, or doing things that I shouldn't or whatever it may be, fill in the blank right there that I can't control. It. And God says, yes, you can. God is not given for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know what the sound mind is? That's another one that Spanish made me understand what it is because I thought sound mind. I'm like okay, you know what sound mind means? Self control. God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of self control. 
no, like, what do we do? My excuse, like, well, you made me mad. Lord said, nobody can make you mad. Well, you made me, nobody can make you. They put a gun to you, and even at that, you can't. Like, well, I was happy, but you made me where I'm no longer happy. Nobody can make you that. Because remember Psalm 16, verse number 11? In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where's the real joy? That's in my Jesus. Not in my circumstances and situations. Because they change. They go up and down, right? You know what our emotions do? They're like roller coasters. They take us up and down and all around. They give us a crick in the neck. We have to see the chiropractor later, right? Like, I mean, our emotions are, are, and therefore, we don't do the John Chris thing of follow your heart. That's the stupidest thing ever. Don't follow your heart. Follow God, right? And, and so, we, that self-control. So, that, that moral section would be um, that self-control. The, there's a lot of interpersonal conflicts. We don't get along. And on the mission field, one of the biggest blessings would be, um, what book was I, I was just reading a book, I'll give notes out on it later, and it's called uh, Planting by Pastoring. It was a really good book, and anyway, in this, he, he talks about in one section about teamwork, and he said one of the greatest things is, is teamwork. He said, look at the biblical, you know, Paul and Barnabas, then Paul, and many times as he would sign a letter, it was with Sylvanius, and it was with Timotheus, and it was with Titus, it was all these men. He was always with somebody, and they even sent from, you know, um, Antioch, they sent off people. And then we see Joshua and we see Moses and we see all these teams that were there. They said, it's a great thing to, to have, have teams on the mission field. Like, you know, you, you don't have to do everything. Everybody helps each other and supports everybody. But the con side of teams is most people don't handle it well because of interpersonal conflicts. I want to be the big dog, not you. Like, why do you get to do, preach twice and I only get to preach once? Like, why do you get to disciple? I wanted to disciple that guy, right? Or like, why do you get to teach that class? I wanted to teach that class. Or like, why do you, you know, whatever it is. And that, man, that working in a team, that's a difficult thing. I think marriage is a marvelous thing um, for, for young people. And they say, man, because we can become, very, all of us can become very selfish. And you know what marriage does? It, it shows you that life's not just about you. I mean, you know, you have to learn to share. Remember when you were a kid and you're like, learn to share. And you're like, absolutely not. Wait until mom walks out the room. I'll rip that out of the hand of my brother. And you're like, I'll punch him on his way down. And you're like, no way. I don't like sharing. You get married. You're like, man, I better learn to share. Right? And you're like, I want to be first. And you're like, well, if you want to have a good marriage, that's not going to work out well for you, is it? Yeah, right? Yeah. That's all it's about. Talking about some cold nights and some uh, long nights and some long day. Man, it's just, you better learn. And that, you know, uh, what is it, Psalm 133? It's one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. It's like three verses. And the whole chapter talks about unity. It talks about the, the oil that goes down the beard of Aaron, which proves that beards are biblical. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, it, it talks about, and he says, so is the unity because there God sends his blessings, right? And um, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. God wants unity. And, you know, you could look at Romans 15, uh, verse 1 and 2, you can look at uh, Romans 12. Um, you could look at Philippians chapter number 2. And, and I mean, there was all these, and, and in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about this Phoebe and Lord knows the other name. And um, I mean, they, uh, really interesting names. And they, 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 they were arguing. He's like, come on, guys, can we be a one spirit here? And by the way, in the book of Acts, when they were all unified in that, they didn't all have the same likes. Like, everybody likes chocolate. Like, I like dark chocolate. 
heathen, I like white chocolate, you know, like, you know, they weren't all in agreement of salty food or, you know, sweet food or what kind of ice cream or colors of the wall. You know, what they were agreed in, they put all the personal preferences aside for the most important thing, which is the kingdom of God. They wanted to get the gospel out. So what character issues do you need to face? Is there pride in our life? Um, this book that it's called Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle, which was a preacher back in the um, 1800s, late into the 1800s, and uh, he gives thoughts for young men, and he said one of the biggest problems in the life of young men is pride, and life has to knock the stilts right underneath us, and he said, you know, you can detect a young man just because of the pride, and like, there's nothing wrong with ambition, but sometimes our ambition is very selfish, isn't it? It's man-driven, you know? It's like, I want to do all this. Like, oh, yeah, God will get some of the glory too, right? You know, like, throw that in there, cherry on top. That'll make it look good and sound my ambition. So, no, no, no. He said, like, knock the pride out. What character issues do you need to deal with? So um, very quickly, and I went a little bit too long. Let me give you another one. Um, so the stickability principle. Why do some not stick with it? Why do, you know, we get off path, whether in the Christian life or in the ministerial, or the mission field or whatever, um, mental, money, moral. Let me give you another one, and this would be marital. The greatest test of your Christianity, follow with me, the greatest test of your Christianity is in your marriage. Because nobody else, like, we can come to class, hey, how you doing? Put a smile on your face and shake hands, but your spouse knows who you really are. That's why it's good for you to get married. Because I, you know, and by the way, God, the, the, the word of God that can discern between the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like, in other words, God says, nah, don't do that. You know, I mean, remember Psalm 51, David's like confessing all these things after Bathsheba. That's Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And like, as he does, Lord knows the spirit of his heart. Like, oh, Lord. You know, like, and uh, the marital, uh, if we can't, here's what, here's how mean it gets. And by the way, Psalm, Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse number 15, this, it gets really, you know, rough. And he says this, he said, it's the small foxes that take down the vine. In other words, it's not the big things. Well, what, what hurts a marriage? Adultery hurts a marriage. Without a doubt, it does, destroys. But many times it's the little things that destroy a marriage. And if your marriage is not good, and right now you say, I'm not married, skip this part, you know, sleep 3.0 for me at the moment. You know, like if you're married, no, 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 you should be thinking right now, God, I would say every one of you, like privately, I mean, I think everybody should have a journal personally. I think you should uh, write things down, the blessings of God, because we forget so often. I think you should write your prayers down. I think you should write down uh, prayer requests. I think you should write down a whole lot of things. But in that, I think you should, at the back, you, if you're not married, you should write down the thing, what I'm looking for in a wife and like what I'm looking for in a husband. Write all those different things. You say, I got 28 things that I'm looking for. Now stop, turn the mirror. Now look, are you any of those things? Because you get what you're like. Right? And like, uh, well, I want somebody who's like way up here, like, and I'm way down here. No, bum, I'm sorry, you'll get somebody way down there with you. Like, um, you know, we get, we attract what we are, not what we want. And uh, many times we, we do, and there's nothing wrong. But um, you will probably, what kind of girl do you want to marry? What kind of guy do you want to marry? Well, then be that person. Instead of looking for that person, be that person. 
and you'll attract the right person, right? Um, so it's these small little things according to Song of Solomon. Here's what God says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think it's verse number 4 and verse number 5. It, it's, it's mean, and I don't think it's nice. But Paul said, you can't work things out in your own house. You have no business trying to be in charge of the house of God. Now, that's not a VBM rule. That's not a, uh, this is what Jeff thinks. That's not, I mean, that was, I mean, that was just a cut, like a deep cut that Paul, you know, like, uncool man, not kind to say. You know, we always make jokes um, to each other, about each other, different things. But sometimes the joke is so close to home, it's just like, that wasn't funny. Right? And this one, my, Paul, that's just not cool. Right? And so this is why, not because God doesn't think like you have to be perfect. No, no, no. God says, I want you to work. And by the way, this is all throughout life. You work on your private life and God will take care of your public life. We want the public and then, you know, and God says, no, no, work in the private things. And, and by the way, preaching is an overflow of your private life. Because if you're living right, you're doing right, then, then those things can, can flow out, right? What, what's in the well will eventually come out. And so, um, you know, we can maybe push it down, whatever, but it'll eventually come out. And so the Lord says, I want you to get things right in your marriage, right? There's Conflicts will always exist in marriage. We're not trying to be conflict-free. We're trying to learn how to resolve the conflicts in marriage. And so in one book, it's called... Um, um, Love and respect, um, and it talks about this crazy cycle, you know, the, the crazy cycle of, um, well, if she'll, if she'll respect me, then I'll love her. And she says, well, if he'll love me, then I'll respect me. Like, we go in this circle, wah, 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 and therefore the Lord said, no, no, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, you love her like I love the church. You respect him, like, I mean, God says, I'm the one, I'm your, you know, tape measure, not him, not her. And so you do what you're supposed to do. That's the commitment, you know, the, um, the I do 100%, not 50-50, 100-100. You know, I do my part no matter what because it's like as unto the Lord, right? And that, that's what we're supposed to. And as we do it as unto the Lord, God takes care of the other different things. But work on, work on this area, every one of us. Because many times on the mission field, they do not have a good example of what marriage is supposed to look like. You are the example. Um. They need to see, you know, you, you want to help. So um, anyway, let's work on that. Let's get the conflict free. Anyway, in that, in that book, uh, Love and Respect, he says there's a crazy cycle. Your job is not to, you know, that crazy cycle we start arguing, like, if you'll do this, I'll do that, you know, and we keep on going. He said, you'll, you may never get out fully, but if you can put more time in between the crazy cycle and the fights, we learn to resolve those things so we don't have to spend every day and night going in circles, you'll be a lot better. I remember being at, um, when we were in Argentina, uh, God gave us a uh, radio ministry. And so I'd preach on the radio every Monday to Friday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then later they would repeat it from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then later we got on another radio and God began to use it. So people would start coming to church. Well, when I started on the radio, um, I was really nervous and I had no idea. You know, you're in, a, you're in a room by yourself. Nobody else is there. It's just you and a microphone. And so, like, nobody's saying amen, you don't see any smiles, you don't see any nods, you don't, like, nothing. So you're like, and Jesus loves everybody, and you're, like, looking at the wall, so you're like, I wonder if anybody's even listening. You know, like, like dead time is really dead, you know, like, and you're like, this is just great. So I started, um, I started preaching and teaching on the family, 
marriage, raising children. Because I thought um, the Argentine culture is they're very family oriented. Um, now it, it's kind of weird because everybody, I mean, you go to the grocery store here in the U S and you might see the lady pushing the cart down the aisle and she's getting the stuff. But in Argentina, it's like, um, mom and dad go to the grocery store, take the kids with them. It's like an outing, you know, uh, like you go to the park and here, you might see a mom sitting there with a couple of the kids, but there it's like mom and dad are at the park, you know, playing with the kids. And you're like, what in the world? Now it's kind of crazy because at the opposite side, it's like every other person has a lover. You're like, wait, how are you so family oriented? And you have a lover. Like, well, two's better than one. I I don't know. But anyway, it's just really crazy. You're like, this is just, I I shouldn't say that. But anyway, um, like delete from this part. Um, I mean, but anyway, um, so I thought if I could help um, families, you know, I'm trying to get a a hook into they'll listen because they're not just going to listen. Like today, I want to talk to you about uh, why Jesus came and died for you on the cross. They'd be like, ah, religious stuff. I'm out of here. So I thought if I can use that as an entrance to them to open the front door per se, then I could be in their living room. And as I'm in the living room, then I preach the gospel and then they'll listen to me. And so I started to do that. Well, people started to, uh, to come to church and they would come before and after and, and say, are, are you the guy on the radio? Can you tell us? And they thought that I was some family guru. And I'm like, dude, I am totally you know, reading books and like telling you what I'm reading in these books. Like I have no idea. I'm just trying to find more info to share more info. And so I remember I started doing, I would go to some different houses. They would say, would you give us marriage counsel? I'm like, nah, I don't really do that. You know, I mean, I just act like I know what I'm doing on the radio because you don't know me. <laughs> and so anyway, I end up going to a couple of houses. I remember I'm sitting at one house and uh, they, they were really kind. Hey, pastor, good to see you. Would you like something to drink? Thank you. Um, man, we're so glad. We love to listen on the radio. And like everything was so cordial, so nice. Everybody's so sweet. And then they're like, ah, pastor, sentate here, you know, like, we're like, okay. And so we sit down and they're like, I'm literally sitting at the head of the table. The man is on, literally, it's this big old long, you know, table for six, eight people. And uh, I'm sitting at the head of the table and the man is sitting over here. The lady's sitting over here. And uh, I said, so, you know, I'm like, enough of the small talk. I'm like, so, um, t- tell me, how, how can I help you? Is everything good? Like, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm here for. Remind me, God, how I got in this situation. Like, this is just a bad idea. Can I just hurry up and pray with them? And I mean, maybe I'll even splash a little bit of water and leave. No, I'm just kidding. Like, I, what am I doing here, Lord? So um, I remember the lady said, well, you know, me and, you know, my husband, we've got these problems. And um, he says something and I'm just like, oh, okay. And so here I'm trying to offer advice. I should not have said a thing. So I'm trying to offer advice. I'm like, um, so how about you tell me this? Um, when did things start getting cold? They'd been married many years and they're like, you know, I don't think they sleep in the same room and they have all these problems. They don't like each other. I fell out of love with him like 20 years ago. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, you know, here I am. I'm like, you know, I'm 30 at the time. And, you know, these guys have been married, you know, uh, most of my life. And I'm like, well, you let me tell you about marriage. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. And she's like, uh, I don't know. It's always been like this with him. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, that helped me none. Like, man, why don't you tell me, uh, when did this start for you? Um, he's always been like that. She's always like, man, this is going nowhere. And I'm like, um, okay. Um, well, obviously when you guys got married, I mean, you were together and you loved each other and something got you together. And so why don't you tell me, let's go back to those, those thoughts. Why did you marry him? Was it, you know, maybe you guys enjoyed each other's jokes or spending time together, eating stuff. Like, tell me something. And I'm trying to reminisce, like, you know, 
get some old sparks that I can help, you know, flame and we'll get the fire going or something, you know, and then I, they can kiss and I can walk out. And I'm like, yes, you know, but it didn't happen. It actually went the opposite way. And so uh, he's like, I don't know. And so he stands up and like, I'm sitting right here. He's on the left-hand side of the table. She's on the right-hand side of the table. I'm like, why don't you just tell me like, what was it? He stands up and he just starts yelling. And I'm like, this is not good. And so I'm like looking over and she stands up and she starts screaming and like, they're both going and I'm just like looking. And now I'm like playing like a tennis match. I'm like looking to the right and I'm looking to the left. I'm like, oh, and like, I think, I don't even remember when it ended. Like, this was like, finally I was like, let's pray. God bless you. Like, I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, this is so bad. But here's the thing. Here's what I truly believe that happened. And I, and I saw that over and over. Like she would say, what happened was something small, a little, little fox that was eating at the grapes, something small happened and they went to bed mad. The next day they were cold and, you know, just like whatever. And so he walked in the house and maybe they tried to talk and he just blew it away and blew it away and just, it come over and man, I, as they swept it under the carpet, just more junk under the carpet and junk under the carpet until it became a mountain and the mountain was between the two and they never did get it resolved. And now they say they don't want to be with each other. They've given up and all the, and I'm thinking how in the world? And so here's God, what God says. Ephesians 4, verse number 26, he says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Sun goes up every day. Sun goes up, sun goes down. Never mind. Um, anyway, the sun goes up and sun goes every day. It's just like something, I mean, it happens every day since the beginning of time, except for once when uh, Joshua said, sun stands still. And then, you know, but it still went down after so many hours, right? And so we know what exactly, but God said, if you don't want to have marital issues, have short accounts. Fix things before they become big things. Many people, probably a high percentage of people that leave the mission field is because of marital. It, it doesn't go to the extreme of unfair. I'm not saying that. It's but it's little things. And now, because I remember many times uh, it was almost a joke with us. Like I would argue with my wife about something really dumb, and then I would go in and like. So I preached um, Sunday school, Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, I'd go to our second church. I'd preach there. I'd come back Sunday evening. I'd do a teachers and workers meeting. Then I'd preach the evening service. And then Monday, we'd have classes. Tuesday, we'd have classes. Wednesday, I would go to the other church and I would preach. Thursday, I would go to this church and I would preach. Friday, we had youth meeting I would preach. Saturday was an outreach, visitation, and sometimes there were things. And that wasn't counting Bible college classes and disciples. So I was teaching. I was preaching a lot throughout the week. A whole lot. And so I would go in and I would go into an office and I would sit down and I'd open my Bible and say, God, please, I need to be, I need to preach something, Lord. I need your help. And it was almost like the first Peter chapter three, verse number seven. He says, if there's something at ought between you two, the Lord said, this is repeated, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Matthew 6. But in 1 Peter 3, 7, he said, there's an obstacle. I don't remember, obstaculo is what it says in Spanish. But there's a, there's a breach. There's an obstacle. There's something between your prayers when you got an issue with your spouse. God says, I can't hear you. It's not that God's like, ah, what? I can't hear you. He's like, fix that thing. And so I remember many times I'd go in there, I'm like, Lord, please. And so I remember walking out, I'm like, head down. I'm like, man, I need to ask you something. She's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, I was an idiot. Like, um, just like, okay, that's fine. I'm like, good. 
Lord, I fixed things. Would you help me? Give some clarity now. After a while, it was almost like a joke because I'd like, I'd open the office door and I'd walk out with my head down and he's like, forgiven. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, walk back in. Like, like, she's like, I know the routine. You're an idiot. You know, you act like an idiot. Like, but here's what the Lord wanted. And I'm grateful that, that I had to, in one sense, I, I felt like I, I knew that I needed to get things right because if you're wrong here, you know, this way with your spouse, then there's something wrong here with your God. The vertical and the horizontal, they go together. And so God says, fix things so that you're a team, right? I mean, you, you want to do things. So anyway, uh, the stickability principle. And let me give you one more and um, we'll finish so we can have a break. And uh, I apologize, I'm going to run. Um, usually we do our break at 10, 15, so we got four minutes, and so bear with me just a couple minutes. Stickability principle, many people don't stick with it, and it's not because they, you know, some uh, abrupt and nasty sin. It's little things. It's this mental battle. It's the, the money issues. It's the moral, the character issues. It's the marital. Let me give you the last one, number five, and of course, we're going to go with the M because we already started, right? M&Ms, it doesn't matter if you like just the regular or the peanut or the, pe you know, the peanut butter or like, let's preach right there for a second, right? But um, anyway, then we'll go with this last one and that is motive. Uh, you, you know these verses, so I don't necessarily have to, but um, have you es ever asked yourself why you are doing what you're doing? Right now, you say, I'm not on the mission field. I didn't ask you if you're on the mission field. Why are you studying to be a missionary? Why are you raising the funds on deputation to be a missionary? Why are you learning the language? Why are you starting that church? Why are you doing it? Are, are you doing it to prove something or to please someone or to pursue somebody else's dream or like those, let's just say it this way. When the winds and the storms come, they will knock you down, baby. The, the difference between the, the oak tree and the pine tree that we have here in Georgia, I mean, the winds come, you see up and down 400. Um, I was some months back, there's some strong, you know, tornado winds that came through. And I mean, there are pine trees laying down everywhere. You know, the trees that did stand, the one that had big, deep root system. And if your root system is, I'm doing this to prove to somebody else I can do it. I'm doing this because it's somebody else's passion or this is, you know, uh, I want to please mom and dad or I want to, uh, you know, wh whatever, whatever it is or I like adventure or I've always wanted to learn a second language or I just love the people, that culture is so cool. Nothing wrong with those things, but those better be all secondary. The biggest thing is I'm doing this because I love my Lord. You, you, you know this, so I don't need to necessarily preach, but in Revelation chapter number two, the, um, he's talking to seven churches, right? You remember that? And the, and the seven churches, he goes to the one that we probably know of best, which would be the church of Ephesus. And he said, man, you guys have done all this right. But all of a sudden, all the right, I mean, there could be a lot of things right. And, you know, when, when things go bad, we always want to remember what we did right, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what God did. He said, I remember all that you did right, but there's one thing that you lack. Remember that? He said, you left your first love. Somewhere along the line, they started out right and they went right. And let's be very careful and non-judgmental because as we're pointing at the church of Ephesus and all oh, those sinners, you know, all oh, those, you know, lacking of faith Jews and all oh, those, you know, and as we look at all that, you know, we've got four fingers looking back at our own selves and our judgment comes strong upon us. And he said, you left your first faith and then he gave three different steps and um, to get right, he said, remember, right? You remember what you did at the first. 
So I'd say this is like perfect plan for marriage. This is perfect plan for ministry. This is perfect plan for your walk with God. This is perfect plan for anywhere in life. Remember, you know, all those things that you did. And then he said, repent. In other words, turn from that. Stop doing that. Like, you know, I've got this issue in my life. Well, stop. Let's stop that. Let's put that phone on the other side of the room and let's stop doing that. Let's get some accountability in life. Let's stop doing that. Let's, let's be faithful to the thing. Like, I just don't feel like, let's stop. So remember and then repent. And this is what he said. And then return. This is, get back, man. I mean, the, the father of the prodigal son, he, was, he never did leave. The son left, but he never did leave. My arms are still open wide. In fact, I'm running towards you, buddy. Come on home, right? And, and so sometimes you and I, we need to um, remember all these things. God, I remember in my life. God, I remember, you know, because I saw Sheffy. I remember rolling up my, my deer skin and putting it in my backpack and going up the, the, the hill where I lived in Missouri and, and laying that down and put, getting on it and saying, God, where are you at? Where's the God of Elijah? God, would you fill me? God, would you show me? God, would you use me? I want to be your servant, God. Would you please? And the, I remember that. And then life happens. And then I, I get married. And then I have kids. And I start deputation. All these things happen and get so busy. And what I left was exactly what I needed that got me to where I was. And God says, do you remember that? Now you're so busy, you can't even spend time with me. I'm the one who put you there. Like, oh God, then repent. Lord, forgive me. Maybe I need to take a walk this afternoon. Maybe I need to do some driving and turn off the book and turn off the music and stop and just say, Lord, I need you. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who give to all men liberally, liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. You need power. You need strength. You need wise decision. You need to make, like, ask him. But we have not because we, I really want to get married. Really, when was the last time that you stopped telling everybody else and started talking to God? Now, I could say the same thing to me, so I'm not belittling you. I'm just saying, like, Lord, I need this. And the Lord says, like, I know I can read your thoughts and I can, you know, your utterance, but why don't you spend time talking to me? I just recently read a book that, man, it kicked me through the teeth. And it was called, Do You Pray? By J.C. Ryland. He said, do you pray? And he said, you want God's power. Do you pray? Everything he said, he just kept saying it like the, like the, the what is it, Psalm 136, at the end of every one is like, uh, um, you know, God's mercy. But um, it, it kept saying, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray? He said, you say you're close to God. Look at your public ministry. But I ask you, dear friend, do you pray? You say you want to, you know, preach with fervor, but I ask you, dear Christian, do you pray? You say you want God's hand to be upon you, but I ask you, dear Christian, do you pray? You say, God, would you see, let me see soul saved, but I ask you, dear Christian, do you pray? Say, so go through the word of God. Look at the man who had God's hand upon him. Look at Elijah. What did he do? He had a walk with God. He prayed. Look at Moses, that man who led him through, but what did he do? He prayed. And, like, and I'm like, and the whole time, I'm like, this guy is dead, but yet speaketh. I'm like, man, this guy's kicking me through the teeth, dude. And so I ask you, what's your motive? Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think it's verse number 14. Um, and it says, the love of Christ constraineth. Like it compels me, it pushes me. My motive is him. Man, I want to do it because there's lost people. That's good. I enjoy this culture. That's good. I love traveling around getting to preach. That's good. I love getting the adventure. That's good. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but your greatest mo motive must be the Lord. Because one day those people who you have a deep heart for and a burden for, they might hurt you. 
And then what's going to happen? Your motive has to be him. He is the unmovable rock upon which you can stand. And when the storms come, buddy, and they will, the, the promise, I'll, I'll give one more. Uh, John 16, 33, Lord says, in this world ye shall have tribulation. I'm thinking, really? Of all the promises, that's the one you got to tell me? You'll have problems here. I'm like, come on, Lord. I mean, something better than that. You know, like uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, I think it is, that, you know, he that lives godly will suffer persecution. Like, really, Lord? I mean, that's what you're telling. Couldn't you tell me, love me, and everything is going to go jolly? He doesn't say that. But this is what he does. He finishes the verse, John 16.33. In this world you shall have tribulation. And then he says, but, you know, that, that counter, you're getting ready to change the order. He says, but be of good cheer, be happy, be content, be jolly. Be, why? Because I have overcome the world. If your eyes are on him, David walked out and everybody was just ginormous. Like, what in the world? And here comes the, gigant, the, the, the giant who's ginormous. Everybody, you know, Saul is head and shoulders above everybody. Like, everybody, like, what in the world? And everybody sees this big old giant. But while they're looking at the size of the giant, David's looking at the power of his God. And he says, Fat boy with bad breath who's talking bad about my God, I'm about to take you down. You talking about my God? Bring it on. They're like, David, you don't have a sword. David, you're not that tall. David, you're not really. He said, oh, I got it. My one desire, my motive right here is the Lord. And dear friends, the stickability factor, I mean, you, God put you on a path, you go forward. There's 101,000 different things, and they're not Dalmatians. There's 101 things that will try to stop you. But you move forward for God. At the end of this, the only one you want to please. And by the way, you won't stand with me and you or you and your spouse or you and your best friend or you and your pastor. Absolutely. You won't stand before God with absolutely anybody. It'll be you before God. But Lord, I just thought it doesn't matter. Here's what Romans 3, uh, 3 verse number 4 says. Let God be true and every man a liar. Like, it doesn't matter what they say. You please God. Your motive must be the Lord. All right. Um, it is time, and uh, I apologize. So we went five over. So let's go from it's ten twenty or twenty one. Let's go to ten fifty one. All right. So I'm giving you a long break. You get one break. You get a long break. If you're doing bojangles, run to bojangles now. All right, and uh, hurry back. Ten fifty. Everybody needs to be in this room, please. Ten fifty. Everybody's in the room. Please, please, please. Start up, beloved. And, uh, all right. Before we're going to ask, um, Chassay, if you're, um, okay, right before, um, anybody have a question about anything or a comment, something that you would like to say before we move to next subject? Anybody? Please do. Uh, about what? Okay, yes, please. That would, um, yeah, I think that would fit in a little bit. Um, at the same time, there were, there were multiple reasons. One would be, the question was, uh, you know, why do we change uh, the training center from two and a half to three and a half? Uh, one would be because since it was like all year round, no breaks, sometimes we'd have a lot of people that would go on missions trips, family vacations, different things. They would take breaks anyway. 
Um, and how do you really make that up? Secondly, for the teachers, there's like, when do you have time to prepare another class to get another course ready? Third, you know, the, according to high school, different, you know, there's different times they come in or they, they finish. So we wanted to get on a program where every semester or every, everybody goes through the training center, everybody gets the exact same classes. When, when it goes in, like if somebody comes in in October and goes out in March or something, he might not get the exact. So the structure helped us with the teachers. It helped us with the students. It also helped with the curriculum and make sure we maintain it. But it also gave the students extra time to, I need a little bit of time. If not, we're rushing, you know, it's almost like you blink your eyes, what just happened, you know? And so, yeah, so we're rushing through and pushing everybody out and you might not, uh, it also opened the door where now we're in several different churches where students cannot just be here and at Vision, you know, there's a requirement to be once a week at Vision, but they could also be at Forest Hills or at Pleasant Grove or at several different churches, and that's been a blessing because they get also experience of, you know, when you go to a, another church, they might ask you, won't you teach Sunday school class or you teach Sunday evening? And at Vision, you only get five minutes, so that's a wonderful thing, but if you can get a lot more. So anyway, there, there were a whole lot of reasons, to be honest that we were doing the consideration of that. And that was actually consideration that was coming in for a while before we put it into place. Good question, though. Yeah, please. How did you reconcile stickability with having help with your activities? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is what I would say. That's a very good question. So how did I, me personally, um, you know, work with the stickability factor um, and me coming back. And this is what I would say. Um, all of us need to be very careful about being judgmental, right? And even as we do podcasts and different things, uh, and we even discussed this uh, the other day when Jason was on the podcast, we've discussed many different things. Um, all of us have to be careful, uh, one, to be judgmental. And I would say I usually admit, lest I be hypocritical on saying you should stay for 40 years, like, like oh, that's easy for you to say since you didn't do it. Your life doesn't say that. So this is what I would say. Um, let God, God is not geographically challenged. So geography is not an issue with God. You say, what if I end up going to South America and then later, like Jeremy Hall went to Peru and now he's in uh, Africa. Was he, should he have never been in Peru? No, that's where God had him at first. And praise God for his experience and his time in Peru to do, you know, what he's doing in South Africa. We're God's servants, so wherever God moves us and whatever God has us do, that's between us and God. The issue would be, at least my emphasis would be, that let's make sure when we do move that it's God moving us and not our emotions moving us. Because, like, why does somebody, you know, leave a marriage? Is there a good reason? Why does somebody leave a ministry? Why does somebody, you know, a lot of times they say that over 90% of church splits, I remember being on deputation, I remember going to one church and uh, this pastor told me, I think I've probably mentioned it, but this pastor, it was in a, um, a mobile home. And the pastor said, uh, you know why we started this church? I said, no, sir. And like, I, I, was, I was just starting deputation. I wasn't looking for reason. I didn't want to know anything. Like, I just like, uh, um, he said, you know, he was asking me almost like, do you want to know the, the grit? Do you want to know the the gossip about it. I'm like, no, no, sir. <laughs> like, I really don't. <laughs> um, and he said, we split this church from the church. And you know, I just pointed that the church was like right there. 
Um, he's like, we split this church. You know why I split the church? And I'm like, once again, no, I don't want to know. No, I don't know. No, I don't care to know. And he said, because one night God told me to split this church. And I'm like, ah, pretty sure you didn't hear God's voice on that one. I am really sorry, but no, you didn't. Um, and anyway, I, I don't remember his read. I just remember walking out. Well, since then, whether it's in, I remember church where I grew up, my pastor, you know, where I was, he is now with the Lord in heaven, but that church went through a big issue. And the, the, the pastor's there. He's now in jail, just a whole big issue. Well, they split that church and the other church, it went down the road and you could stand in the parking lot of one church and look at the other church. And when I would go back on a furlough, I preached at both churches. And it was crazy because like this church would uh, like, it didn't empty, but this pastor finally told me, said, I can't have you come back because every time I come back, I grew up with all these people. So they would leave this church, go half a block away to listen to me to preach into the other church. And then I would go to the other church and preach. And they would, they would leave that church and they would go into the other. And I'm like, this is so dumb. And the reasons why most of the, most church splits have to do with more with personality than does with doctrine. Um, and so what I would say is nothing wrong. I mean, we have to do what God wants us to do, but we should make our decisions based on God's moving and not my emotions of the moment or not because of my sin or my, you know, whatever it may be. So that's why I would say it. But that is a, that's a good question. It's a very fair question. I am here. I'm doing my best to serve God and you should, wherever God leads you and however God leads you. Nothing wrong. Like I'm not going to be a missionary. Doesn't make you better, more or less of a Christian. Lord have mercy. We're, we're all supposed to be God's servants, not each other's servants, right? All right, anybody else have a question before we go on about anything that was said here, about uh, what Noah showed us, about Bob Mack, about absolutely anything? Five, four, three, two. Jesse, why don't you uh, preach to us, beloved? All right. We both know that's my wife that preaches. <laughs> she gives you that one. That's it. Okay, uh, so I have a couple of uh, questions just to get you guys involved. Do you guys know what those five spiritual disciplines are? Have you, I know that uh, the people that grew up in Brother John's uh, uh, Sunday school class know it, but who, who can tell me what the five spiritual disciplines are? Giving, reading your Bible. Faithful to church. Disciple making and soul witnessing. And praying. Those are the five spiritual disciplines and Basically, if you, sp you boil down what you want a Christian or uh, whenever you're church planning, you, what you want your, um, I guess, your, your flock to be like, uh, uh, the, the Christians, uh, basically, you want them to be those things, right? And I just want to zoom in today on just one of those, uh, which is uh, just disciple making and soul witnessing. Um, this is something that I think that the Lord has been working on uh, me uh, just these past couple of weeks being in the States, especially since uh, things have kind of slowed down for me, uh, just with, um, you know, not being able to get back to the country that I'm supposed to. Uh, but if somebody can go ahead and read Acts 1-8 for me, or recite it in English. Somebody read Second Timothy two two. Thank you. 
So we know these verses. These are very popular. Uh, most of the verses that are involved in spiritual discipline, these five spiritual disciplines are stuff that we know. Uh, but many times we, we get so involved in ministry that we kind of forget to do the basics. Uh, I, we were just playing softball um, Tuesday, and uh, Zach had an amazing game. Uh, but uh, the, the times that we messed up in the game, especially me, is whenever I forgot to do the basics. Uh, and that's why I want to zoom in today on just one of these five spiritual disciplines, which is uh, getting the gospel out to the world. Uh, we know that we're supposed to, but many times we get so involved in the church and we get so involved in ministry. Uh, we got Bible college classes and work, and we kind of forget to do the basics, right? Uh, but what, here's a question for you guys. What does a missionary do with his life? Like, what is his goal to please the Lord? What is his practical goal? Win, win people for Christ. Share the gospel uh, with the lost. Uh, so a missionary shares the gospel. Now here's another question for you guys. What does a crackhead do with his life? Looks for crack. He, he smokes crack, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's pretty simple. Wait a minute, I don't but, do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny is... <laughs> You've never heard a crackhead say, I have no money, so I don't think I'll smoke today. That's never happened, right? So what do they do? They create their own opportunities. So why do we as, uh, say as missionaries and as missionaries in training that we don't have opportunities, so I guess we won't share the gospel today? You know, are we going to let crackheads out-hustle out us? <laughs> That's right. Seriously. Yeah. Like, and that is the tweet for the day. <laughs> we can't let... You know, crackheads create their own opportunities. Why? Because they're addicted to crack. But many a times we don't create opportunities to share the gospel. Maybe because we're not addicted to Jesus or because we don't love him the way that we ought to. And it's because we forget our opportunities, our, our, our spiritual disciplines and our basics. Our lack of attempt proves our disbelief or the lack of love and care. Uh, you know, the seed that, uh, that, that Jesus speaks about, he said himself, behold, a sower went uh, forth to sow. Scripture says that. He didn't sow inside the barn. I said this a couple months ago. And therefore, we don't sow inside the church. Uh, the Bible says that he went forth to sow. So... As we're here and uh, we make this practical, the reason that we have an outreach ministry and that we're supposed to go out and get the gospel to the world uh, is so that we can tell people about Christ. Uh, but you've got to go out to the field and remember that Jesus talked about going forth. Uh, but you know what's, uh, I, I pulled up some statistics. According to the North American Mission Board, 96.7% of all Southern Baptists I've never shared a verbal witness with one lost person. I don't think it's very different for independent Baptists. 73% of Southern Baptist churches have no soul-winning training program. And I'm not saying that you have to have a program, uh, but the basics is just getting the gospel to the world. Uh, did you know that there is not one verse in the Bible that commands a lost sinner to go to church? But there is verses about in the Bible that commands the church to go to the lost sinner. Yeah, that's right. You see, we are to go continuously. You can't go 
once or twice or even three times and call yourself a, a soul winner or a missionary. Uh, if you want to be a missionary in training, you got to get the, you got to be a faithful soul winner. You got to go out and uh, I think it says, uh, what does it say? It says to convince the heathen. Is that what it says? Uh, we are we are supposed to be prepared to be able to get the gospel to people. And by the way, as we're talking to, about soul witnessing, I was supposed to say that's at the beginning, uh, but. Uh, the faithfulness of, of all of these spiritual disciplines is, is vital. You know, if we expect our, um, uh, the, our church that we're, we're preparing to start in the future uh, to be faithful to the church, then we've got to be faithful to the church. You know, if we want uh, to, to start men's retreats and marriage counseling and uh, marriage retreats and camps and stuff, and we expect our church members to be at those, uh, then we we got to be at the uh, the men's retreats, you know? I mean, we're having a men's retreat tonight, so uh, those that are not going to that because you've got other things, don't expect your future church to, to go to your, uh, to, to your events uh, because remember, they've got their lives too. Uh, but remember, uh, you can't ask God to do something when you won't get out of the boat. You know, you can't, you can't expect God to, to give you souls and to... Uh, to uh, uh, grow a church if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone to go to the lost uh, people. Uh, and it's going to, like uh, I think Noah said and the missionary said, it's going to be so much easier to be uh, doing ministry in your own language than doing it in somebody else's culture. If we're not doing it now, chances are we're not going to do it later in another culture. So get yourself out of your comfort zone. Hang out with, start hanging out with people. Uh, if you really want, if you're an adventurous guy, if you want to live on the edge, go to another country and reach them with the gospel. But Jesus cared about people, and that's exactly what we we got to do. We've got to care for people. We've got to love them. Many of times we don't share the gospel because our, we we forget to care. Do we genuinely care about people? And I can gladly say this: the greatest joy that you can have in your life is not being consumed with yourself and your own stuff. Uh, but if you've ever led somebody to the Lord, I know Pastor Steve Hall says this all the time, but he says it's one of the greatest joys to be able to lead somebody to Christ. Uh, I, I'm a people person. If I find something fun to do, and my wife makes fun of me uh, all the time for this, if I find something cool or like an awesome taco shop or something, I don't want to just go by myself. I'm going to try to get everybody I know to go and try that taco shop. Noah Wilkerson told me about La Hacienda, and uh, a couple months later, I had 50 people going to La Hacienda <laughs> to get the steak burrito. Uh, not the pork, the steak, right? Why? Because uh, I wanted those people to enjoy uh, that, that little, little uh, glimpse of joy, uh, which is a, a great steak burrito. But how much more the, the joy of knowing Christ, you know? Be faithful in the little things. God cannot trust you if you're not faithful in the little things. He can't give you souls, which is, which is such a big responsibility. Souls are, are the biggest responsibility that we have, is to love God and to love others, as Scripture says. But how can, how can we expect to, uh, God to give us a country, a whole country, if we're not even faithful with our coworkers, if we're not even faithful with our family and friends and those next door to us? We've got to be faithful getting the gospel out now. 
If you've not been faithful in the little things, and it's not even just getting the gospel, sharing the gospel, but if you're not faithful with your school bills, how do you expect God to be faithful, uh, give you uh, a, a salary uh, to go to another country and be full-time in ministry? You see, we've got to be faithful with the small things, and we've got to be faithful with the basics uh, of Christianity, of, of following Christ in order to be able to get, uh, to be used by God. Be faithful in the little things. Sometimes we are more consumed with our reputation than we are about the gospel. And so if you can live like this now, and you can be faithful with the gospel now, then God will use you in many greater ways later. But just be, be, be faithful with those small things. And be faithful to get the gospel out to your, uh, to your coworkers, to your family, and to the lost. That's it. That's good. Hold on one second. Anybody have any questions or comments? You know, when, when things could be, um, when, when things that are said or taught could seem very confrontational or right in your face or like, bro, like, come on. It might make you feel bad, but that's not necessarily bad. Um, when the Bible says, quench not the Holy Spirit, grieve not the Holy Spirit, right? You know, sometimes uh, it's not others that make us feel uncomfortable. It might be the Lord making us feel uncomfortable. And, and if so, um, answer appropriately, you know, like, thank you, Lord. Don't, you know, let it challenge you. Don't get mad at somebody. Um, I think that's very needed. And, uh, all of us, every one of us, we need to be reminded. The basic disciplines, I'll never forget, um, some of you may have heard the name, many of you probably do not know, an old basketball coach by the name of John Wooden. Um, he won many, like, I don't know, 10 titles, championships, just like incredible. And uh, I think of UCLA. And um, but anyway, in incredible guy. And he would frustrate many of his players because he would get he would um, he'd recruit and bring in all these guys who were the best of their class, best of their high school, best of their group and their neighborhood, like all these guys. He'd put them in a room and he'd get them ready. He said, "All right, take your shoes and socks off. All right, grab your socks. You're gonna roll them like this. I start rolling them up. Now roll it this way, all the way up. Make sure they're firm. Make sure they're tight. Got it? Good. Now uh, unloose the." The strings on your shoe, put your shoe on. Now we're gonna we're gonna tighten them. You go from the very bottom, start right there. And all these guys are looking at themselves like, dude, like I beat everybody in my neighborhood. I could dunk on, you know, you and your mama. Like, come on, dude. Like, you're wanting to teach me how to, you know, come on, bro. Like, obviously, I've been playing all throughout junior high, high school. I was the best MVP. I've got all these things, and I'm here. You're one of the great, you know, coaches of championships, have all this, and you're teaching me how to put my, put my shoes and socks on? Like, dude, really? And get they would get frustrated, and he would say, gentlemen, if you can't remember the basic things, you'll never get to the championship. And ladies and gentlemen, if we can't remember the basic things, I want to get out there and serve God. It's the basics that we need to go back to. We can preach over and over about reading your Bible and praying, reading your Bible and praying. You're like, yeah, dude, give me some real tools. Give me something that's going to help me. Nothing can take the place of the basics. Nothing. 
You say, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, um, I enjoy different books from different um, maybe genres. And at the end of the day, some of them will end the book or go to this one segment after sharing all these secrets. They'll say, it's just hard work. You put in the work and it happens. You know, even marriage, a marriage that works is a marriage that's worked on. You stop working and it stops working. Like, well, duh. Like, okay, there's no magic formula. You know, like, um, I used to, I, I've learned so many things in marriage. I would buy many of these flowers. I bring them and, and she'd say, you know, I know that there's like this stigma that girls like flowers, but I really don't like flowers. I'm like, you could have saved me money a long time ago. Like, what do you mean you don't like flowers? She's like, yeah, they just sit there and then they die. I like, I like, I, I like a potted flower. You know, I mean, it, it stays good. I'm like, okay. And I like chocolates. I'm like, me too. But I probably won't get all the way home if I buy the chocolate. You know, it's like, what? But anyway, uh, you know, I would expect that these flowers are going to take the place of and, you know, forgive everything. And sometimes it's like, nope, you need to sit down and ask forgiveness. You need to sit down and talk. You need to like, yeah, but is there any other quicker route? Can like we cut corners and like, you know, how about you put it on two speed podcast style and just like blah, 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 blah. blah. Okay, we're done. Can, can I leave now? We're going to like, nope. I mean, you just. There's no quick routes around. And what Chase said, the disciplines of the Christian life, don't forget those guys. They're basic. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, there were, it's a five-star Christian. And they would always talk about being a five-star Christian, reading your Bible and praying and witnessing. I think it was these five disciplines. Uh, Might have thrown it in a different order, but it was like all throughout five-star Christian. And I remember I left from there and I got to Argentina and I, and I preached a sermon in youth conference, like be a Christian of cinco estrellas. And they're like, wow, that's so good. I'm like, I totally hijacked it from somebody else. (laughs) And, but the honest truth is you don't need anything new. The whole book of Deuteronomy is an in nothing more than a, it's called a, the second law, the second mention. It's a book of 30 days of repetition of everything said Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He repeated it in the last 30 days, the month before they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. And all God said was, you guys know all this stuff, but you need to be reminded one more time before you go back over there. Just the basics, guys. Stick with the basics. And then God will, you know, um, but... What is going to get the job on the mission field? It's not your magnetic personality. Your deep, you know, your, your way of explaining the scriptures. You're just incredible. I mean, you're just good with people. Man, you have a, you memorize and you know how, you, you don't forget any names. That's good. That's good. But that's all secondary. You need, I mean, we all need to jump back to the basics. So that was very good. I appreciate you sharing that, um, Chase. Anybody have a question or comment towards that before we move over to um, the Reverend Tyrone? All right. Anybody? Ty, can, I can send it back that way if you like. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about the basics as well because that's just what we're talking about today. Anything you can read on John Wooden, read it, okay? Because just he's a classic, but he's very good. If you want to be a leader, 
read to John Wooden. He's very good. Um, so, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Nehemiah. I say that, I mean, almost everything I started is my favorite book, and I talk about the book I'm going to talk about. But it, uh, Nehemiah is a great book because it talks about leadership. It talks about a man who got things done that God used to get things done, I should say. And it was that God was using that man. And he was able to get the, the wall built very quickly. He was able to motivate the people. And we see a lot that we can learn from Nehemiah. And one of the things that has been talked about today is, you know, the stickability, the fact that there, you know, there's people leaving the mission field, there's people unprepared for the mission field. And, and I believe one of the biggest things that prevents us from seeing God's uh, hand work in our life and use us, you know, we're, 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 we're a room full of people that are called into the ministry preparing for the ministry, and we want to serve God with our lives, and yet oftentimes I don't see a whole lot going on. Do you ever think about that? I think of my life, and, and, and when I say I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, I'm, I'm thinking about my life, and then I think about it as a whole, and I'm thinking, why aren't people just getting saved left and right around here? How come we're not just seeing people discipled over and over again? And I believe one of the biggest things is because we're not a people of prayer. We're not, we're not seeking God. And what we learn from Nehemiah here, and I'm just going to start um, reading in uh, Nehemiah 1, 4. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses." Remember, I beseech thee, to that the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, thou, though thou were, were of you cast out under the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants and the people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cup bearer. We see it's uh, Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. And so Nehemiah starts, we know what Nehemiah accomplished. We know how God used his life. And, and when I read the book of Nehemiah, I'm just amazed at, at how quickly they were able to get that job done. They were able to do things that, that was humanly impossible. They, they had a spiritual battle that was going on. Nehemiah was constantly being attacked. And that's what's going to happen on the mission field. Each one of you wants to have, have God use your life in an amazing way. And so you can look at Nehemiah and think, that God really used this man. He used this life. And when I read that, Nehemiah, I think I want to be used by God. I want God, I want you to use my life like this. And, and, and so he starts out in the foundation to his ministry. And what he did was this time of prayer that he had. He, he, he mourned before God. He fasted and he prayed. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. And uh, when Paul, in the book of Timothy, right after he said, he says, 
I've been called in the ministry. I can't believe that God would use me, that God would allow me the privilege of being able to serve him. That's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then the first thing he tells Timothy in chapter number 2, he says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, First, the first thing that I exhort you to do, the first thing that I want to mention to you, the first thing that needs to be evident in your life is that you pray supplications and prayers and intercession and giving thanks be made for all men. Why? For kings and for all that are in authority that they may lead a, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Why, why is this so important? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is the foundation of our ministry. Prayer is what will get us excited. When I, when I think about what, what Noah talked about, what Jeff talked about, and what Chase, Chase talked about, the first thing that comes to mind, God, help me to be that kind of man. Help me to have that kind of burden. And I know the only way that's going to come, it won't come in and of myself. I need God to stir my heart. I need God to do work in my life. And you need God to work in your life and stir your heart. Otherwise, you won't go out and disciple people. You won't care about the people in your, that you work with and in your neighborhood. God needs to do a work in our life. And, and I know that, you know, like the book that Jeff taught, I highlighted the book. I don't even listen to it on the way up to Ohio today because I know that's true. And I know it in my life, but I don't put it to practice. And so let us look at some things here and remind us. It is the fundamentals. I, I think that's funny about John Wooden's book as well, how he told them, I mean, he's, I mean, let me show you how to put your socks on. That's what he said. I mean, can you imagine? Let me show you how to put your socks on. These, these are 18 and 20-year-olds that he's telling that to. I can't even imagine having him say that to them. But that's what he told them. And they were like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's all, because if you don't have the socks just right, they will, you'll get blisters. And you, when you have blisters, you can't uh, run as fast. You can't be as good a basketball player. And so you need to know how to put your socks on right. Well, what, uh, what we find in Nehemiah and all throughout the Bible is something that we all tend to neglect and that we need to pray and talk to God and beg Him to work in our life, to burden our life. We need to fast at times. We need to say, God, nothing else is more important than you and my relationship with you. I can sense that there's problems in my life, and I need to fast and pray. And so it all, it all begins with the burden and prayer and fasting. He talks about verse number four. It says that he had a burden. He sat down and wept and mourned certain days. There was a... a when, when I think about that, I think, how often do I mourn and am I burdened for the lost around me? And, you know, it just doesn't naturally come. You have to think about it. You know, I didn't care about those in the jail in Forsyth County until I started going to the Forsyth County Jail. Then I was burdened for them all the time. You have to be around them to really understand that. So we need to get around people and not be so busy. We have to have margin in our, in our schedules to, to, to be thinking about that. But he mourned because he heard this news. And, and often what will happen is we just, after a time, we just quit caring about those that are around us because we just figure, I've tried sharing the gospel with them. And it just doesn't seem to be working. You know, I did. I shared the gospel at one point and different things. That we didn't realize that they are going to hell. There is no hope for them. Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. I know we know that, but he is the only way. There is no other way. If they're trusted in anything else, they're going to hell. I mean, that, it, it, and it's just, that should burden us when we think about that and meditate on that. And so he was burdened. Uh, and I know that the reason why you're here is because you have a burden for the commission. You have uh, the burden of responsibility. You know all these things, but we can't let that flame die. 
we have to ask God to stir our hearts every single day that we would be stirred for the, those around us. You know, I, I know that fasting is not a common thing. We like to eat, don't we? I mean, we are Baptists. We like to eat all the time. We don't want to miss a meal. In fact, we have snacks in between meal. How many of you had breakfast and you're eating again now? Is there anybody here? Tell me. Yeah, see, right? I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of the same things, but, but we need to realize and we need to say, God, I, I don't need food. I need you. I don't need food. I need to have a burden for the lost. I don't need, you know, Jesus says, you know, his disciples came back when he was at the with the woman at the well, and, and he said, that's not my meat. I don't, I don't need that as much as I need to do what God wants me to do. And we have to have that burden. We need to take times fasting. And, and you know, uh, Je- Jesus didn't, uh, you know, say, uh, if you fast, right? What did he say? When you fast. I know it's not a command. We don't, we don't find a command to fast in the, the New Testament, right? But Jesus just expected it. He's just like, I want you to have such desire for me that you don't care about food. You don't care about anything else. You don't care about media. You don't care about any of those. You care about what I want you to do with my life. He just expected it. It's not a command. He's just like, this is just what you should do. When? When you do this. When? Not, not you need to do this. It's when you do it. You, you're going to need me. And so we need to take time to do that and beg God. I know that, uh, you know, there's been time throughout deputation and, and through things with my family and different things like that that I had to beg God. And I had to uh, just say, God, I'm not going to eat. I need you to work now. I need, I need something to happen. And we don't fast like, oh, God, I'm not going to eat again until you, I mean, until you do what I tell you to do. That's not what I'm saying. You're just saying, you're saying that I need you, God, more than I need food. I, 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 I have to, I, I, you, you got to work in this situation because I have no hope, and, 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 but I have hope in you, and I trust you. I know that you will handle this thing, and so he fasted. He had the burden, and then he prayed before the God of heaven. Uh, here we learn how much a leader needs to pray in preparation for a great work, and all of you in this room, that's what you're here for. You want to do a great work, not because the great work itself, but you want to see God use your life to, to either plant churches yourself or help those that are planting churches. That's why you're here, and that requires you to pray and to fast and to seek God to have you work in, in his life. You know, the uh, Psalm 126, 5 through 6 says, that They that sow in tears and shall reap, uh, shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We need to beg God to use us right now in this Oh, it's uh, Psalm 126, 5 and 6. And, and it's saying that if we go before God and beg Him to, to work in our life, beg Him to use us now, not, not sometime in the future, but now, as Chase was saying, who can you reach now? Who, who needs to hear the gospel now? Who, who in your, your situation? Because, you know, you'll have so much more confidence when you get to the mission field if God has used you already. If you get there and you think, you know, God, I mean, I, I haven't seen anybody get saved. I, I, haven't, I haven't discipled anybody. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have nothing. I, I don't When you get there, you're going to be like, what do I do? What do I have to start with? You have time now to do it. And the fact is, Jesus could come back in, ten, you know, 
tomorrow. Can we come back today, this afternoon? And so we need to do all that we can now, and, and how we need to beg God. And, and it says here that, you know, and through the scripture, that's when he works. Um, and so a couple things in our prayer, verses 5 through 11, tells us some things. First of all, it says to repent for you and for others. Ask God to forgive you your sins in the country you're going to. Ask God uh, to, to forgive our country. Ask God to forgive the, the p- group of people that, that are around you, that, that God would uh, forgive your sins and that he would uh, work in your life because we need to not have anything between us and God. You know, the, the, the fact is we know that Jesus Christ, he shed his blood and in his shed blood wiped away all our sins. We know that. But there, we can still have, a, and it's, it's on our side, really, that broken relationship with God. It's on our side. He's fine. He knows. He's looking down. He sees Jesus Christ. When he looks at Ty Pepperdine, he sees Jesus Christ and the righteousness of him. But the broken relationship on my part, if I know that I have sin in my life, then I need to deal with that. I need to agree with God against myself. And so we repent of our sins and we we get that right. And then we we ask God to help us never to do that again because Jesus had to shed his blood for that thing that I did. But then we also remind God of his promises. This is what Jeremiah did in verse number eight. He said, God, remember, remember that, yes, you said that if we do these things, then, then we would be exiled. But you also said if we turn back to you, that you would gather us from the far reaches of the world and you'd bring us back to this place. So please do what you say. Remind him. And, and we have a whole Bible full of promises of God. And remind God of those things. He, it's, not like, uh, it's not like he doesn't know, but he wants to hear it from us saying, yes, we believe this word. You know, what does it say in Hebrews chapter 11, right? It says that we come to God, we believe in him, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Because, and we're reminding him, God, we believe that you promised this and that you are not a man that you can lie. You're going to do this very thing. And so we, we, beg, we tell God about his promises. Um, we, we want... It's God's will that everyone would be saved. We could, we could remind him of 1 Timothy 2.3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we can remind God of that. God, you want everyone to be saved. Use me to reach all these people around me. Use me today to do that. And then uh, we see that not only did he repent and remind, but he also requested. Ask God to revive your heart. I would start there because if you, don't, if you think about what Noah said and what Jeff said and what Chase said, and you think, yeah, I don't even have a burden for that. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I, I used to care, but I really don't care anymore. You know, God will revive your heart. It's, it's so amazing. So many times I've had to, I just said, God, I, I'm, I've lost it. I've, I tend to not care anymore. I'm just going through the motions. Can you do something about that? And he, in Psalm uh, 51.10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from the, thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, we, we know we can't lose the Holy Spirit of God, but this prayer he will answer. He, many times I've prayed and asked him, God, f- renew the right spirit within me. Restore unto me, in verse number 12, the joy of thy salvation and, and uphold me with thy free spirit. God will do that. He will restore uh, that relationship and he will encourage your heart. In Isaiah 57, 15, it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. As you come before him and requesting, you're being humble. You're saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And, and, and revive my heart. And he says here that he will revive our heart and we can trust that he will do that very thing. And so as we, as we think about all these different things that we've ta- talked about today, and, and I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting over there, I'm thinking, God, I, I need you to burden me. I need to be on fire again for you all the time. I want to see you work. I want to see you work in this group. I want to see many people get saved. We should have testimony after testimony, but we, it all starts with prayer, just like uh, Jeremiah started with prayer, and that's how they were able to do a great work. That's how they were able to build the wall. That's how they were able to do this great work, and so uh, as we um, think about wanting God to use our life, Remember that it starts with prayer and the burden of the Lord and asking God to use our lives and to work and ask Him to save those people around us and and these different things that Nehemiah did. We need to repent. We need to remind God of His promises, and we need to request that God would use us in in, um, this time. Amen. Anybody have a, a question, a comment, anything they would like to ask? It was good. You know, um, it is seems like, Lord's used a theme of the the basic things, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, I remember hearing when I was in college, a um, a pastor came through. I have no idea who he is, where he's from, anything. But I remember the pastor saying that he used his time in college to draw close to God. Now, I was sitting there with a bunch of other young men, young ladies who wanted to serve God, and I thought, I mean, we know God. We love God. I mean, of course, that's what we want to do. That's why we're in Bible college to prepare our lives. And as he went forward, he continued talking about his walks that he would have every day to talk to God. And it convicted me. And I thought, man, you know, I mean, you think for a while I studied, I, I, I really enjoyed biographies. And sometimes I'd think, you know, Spurgeon, and I would try to figure out some formula, um, my mind works in a mechanical way of like, like I even enjoy when the Bible lays out an easy list. I'm like, yeah, you know, that one's easy to follow. You know, just A, B, C, good. You know, like throw the poem at the end and we're, you know, ready for cooking, you know, and, um, I enjoy the list. Um, but I was looking for, you know, okay, Charles Spurgeon, this is the way he preached. He would preach on like one verse in the Bible, like a, a little, you know, a saying or three words on that one verse. And then you would hear about, you know, D.L. Moody, who slaughtered the English language when he would preach. But he used antidotes and, uh, you know, different things. And people just, like, they listened because of all his illustrations and antidotes. God used them. And then I would look at, you know, throughout history, all these different people. And I thought, that's what it is. But that's not what it is. All these people had different personalities and different methods, different, you know, abilities or talents, whatever, but all of them had one thing in common. They had God upon their life. And as we've spoke about this, like, you know, prayer, it's you asking God, God, would you use me? God doesn't need a personality style. That's not what he's looking for. Because some of the greatest leaders in history were people like, Hitler and Stalin, they were, they were awesome leaders, but obviously, you know, like Pharaoh was the man. Lord said, yep, you're my, you're my servant. You're my instrument. And you're going to get buried in the Red Sea. You know, like, 
you know, like that's not the kind of servant I want to be used. You know, these men had God upon their life and what, wherever you're at, you know, I work at Chick-fil-A or I, you know, whatever, whatever you do, you can, I mean, use your time to talk to God, get close to God. Life has a way of just picking up more rapidly, going at a faster pace. So start a habit now of walking and talking with God, anything you do. I remember um, one preacher, uh, I, I like Ray Comfort. I love how he, um, livingwaters.com, I love how he presents the gospel. I mean, he's just crazy, presents the gospel. I read his biography. It's called uh, Getting Out of the Comfort Zone. And he talks about when he was in New Zealand, uh, before he came to the United States, he would get up on this big ladder in these, uh, you know, in a plaza, and he would just start preaching to people. And, uh, you know, you'd have these hecklers and he said, I like hecklers, you know, like I don't enjoy hecklers, you know I mean? Lord has seemed fit to give us plenty of them, but I don't enjoy the, the, the contradict, you know, everybody, but he's like, man, it just makes me want to preach more. And I'm like, it makes me want to shut up. You know, like, like we are totally up, but he would go on and he would preach. And then, uh, I mean, he said all these crazy things. He'd say, I went out, you know, and then I arrived to the United States and I would go out to, um, the John F. Kennedy talked about, you go to this big old uh, park and he would pass out sandwiches to the, the homeless people and they would grab them. So then he would say, you have to hear the entire message and then I'll give you a sandwich. <laughs> like, and he would he'd do all these things. He said sometimes, and in his book, he would even show pictures like of these guys, like would have, he'd get all these people and then they would have a like, gang wars while he's preaching. And he showed like some pictures, like they would have these like uh, steel bars with chains on them. And these guys are like beating each other. And he's like, I'm trying to preach and they're killing each other. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow. I mean, the guy had craziest stories. And I remember one part that he said this. He said, the habit that I've always had, he said, everybody talks to God at different moments, has their, their ways. And he said, what's worked for me is at midnight, you know, he said, I'll go to sleep and I'll get up at, at midnight or 1 a.m. And he said, and I'll get next to my bed and I'll pull this big old cover and over me. And all of a sudden I just stop and I'll just talk to God. And I, he said, I'll spend an hour just me and talking to God because there's nothing else going on. There's no hecklers. There's no busyness in life. And all throughout, I, I looked at all these different, and I'd say, God, I want to have a walk in a relationship with you. Is God's hand shortened that he cannot, is God, God's power is not, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God still wants to, why are we a God of, God only worked in the time of Charles Spurgeon or the time of William Carey or the time of Jim Elliot? No, my God wants to work today. And why can't we be the ones that God uses? And by all means, I say we like as children of God. And that's not, we don't have a monopoly on Christianity or missions or anything. God wants to use, but in our generation, God wants to do something. Why can't that be you? Why can't that be me? Then get close to God. As you leave today, maybe you just need to have a time, a come to Jesus moment. And maybe you need to say, all right, God, there's nobody else around here. And whether you, you know, you say, I don't have any private spot, like whether you go into the bathroom and close the door and just cry out and say, God, I need you. I remember I was working at a, um, a tire factory and, uh, on one of my times of, of, of college trying to work a lot to save up money. And I was working in this factory and, uh, they would have all the guys who have smoke breaks and, uh, they'd say, you get 15 minutes for a smoke break. And I remember going up the 
and talked to my boss and I said, I don't smoke. Can I have a break? And he said, do you smoke? And I said, I just told you I don't smoke. And he said, then you don't get a break. I thought, do you want me to pick up smoking so I can get a break, dude? Like, this is just like, uh, why? It doesn't make sense. He said, they get breaks because they smoke. And I'm like, so, you know, because they're going to have lung cancer in the future, we're giving them benefit. Like, this is just dumb. And he said, you don't have to. And I'm like, all right, can I get a bathroom break? He's like, if you need the bathroom, go use the bathroom. I'm like, there's my break. And, uh, you know, I'd walk in the bathroom and I carried a little Gideon's pocket New Testament. And it was a little orange one. And I kept my back pocket and it shaped, you know, my, my back pocket and it was all worn. And um, I remember I would go in there and I'd shut the stall door and I'd sit down and I'd open my little pocket New Testament. I said, he didn't say what I had to be doing in my break. You know, like I don't have to go to the bathroom, but I'm going to read my Bible. And I go, I'm going through the problems of the day right now, you know. And I would go and I would say, Lord, please use me. Whether your personal time with God is in a bathroom stall closing it just saying whether you lift your voice up to God whether you walk whether you kneel by your bed whether you get in your closet and close your door whatever you it doesn't really matter at some point you need to connect with God you want to see things happen on the mission field I know the one who holds the heart of man in his hand um Hudson Taylor said I can move man through God by prayer alone and he lived in the slums. His parents had money, moved down the slums, spiritual, uh, uh, Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. You could read it. But he moved to the slums and he said, God, if I can't see you answer prayers here in England, how do I know you're going to answer prayers in, in China? And he saw God prove it over and over when he had no money and he wouldn't remind his boss. When he got stuck by a needle because he was working and his coworker just died like a couple days before and he got stuck by the, the, the same needle and he came down with these chills and all of a sudden the, the doctor said, you're dead. And he said, God, you got to save me. And over and over he saw God and he saw God answer prayers. The same concept that David said, I killed a lion and I killed a bear and this uncircumcised Philistine ain't no match for my God. And, and he did it. So have you seen God answer prayers? If you haven't, well, let's start. You could, it can be private. It could be you. It could be, you know, put it in your journal. You share it with, it doesn't matter how, like, let's see God answer prayers. That'll give you the confidence that gives you your spinach Popeye to get to the next one. You need God to answer prayers. So get along with God. This is not rocket science. This is not, um, uh, I have to be very careful uh, when, we, when we talk about grades and different things because I've never had good grades. And, um, but I knew one thing. I knew the God who took me to college was going to get me out of that place and get me on the mission field. And I thought, God, I am the ugliest dude with the biggest nose and big old wide ears and a short little stature. God, I don't think anybody's going to marry my ugly face. And God's like, Here's one. She loves me enough that I'll blind her for the moment. I'll do the old Syrian blindness. You know, she won't even see you. You got it. Let her sign the piece of paper. She won't walk out after that one. She loves me. And like, I'm like, good. And then I get over and I'm like, God, I cannot learn this language. Like, Lord, I mean, I took, I think, one Spanish class in high school. And I made fun of my teacher. And the principal walked in. And I had the teacher cry. And the principal said, you don't want to be here. Get out. And I'm like, Chow. I'm like, that's the only word I learned in here. And then I get the, you know, language school and they're like, say this. And I'm like, oh, crud, I should have listened. <laughs> like, God, you know my grades and you know my bill. It's not going to happen. But God, you called me to this and I think you're going to help me. And over and over, and I could share, okay, how about you? Let's get a, let's get a hold of God, man. 
Let's get alone with God. So let's see God work. And you have a, there, there is no ranking system, stature, and time of year. Like you could have the same power of God that Charles Spurgeon had on his life. And sometimes we pull the old Corinthian way of, I'm of Apollos and I'm of, you know, like all that. And the Lord said, are you serious here? Like if you got me, you got all of me and nobody's got more of me than, you know, come on. And you could have the same God on your life. We don't all preach the same. We don't all, you know, have the same ability. And some people pull out things out of passage. I'm like, I never even saw that there. And some people preach and I'm like, I still don't see that there. <laughs> like, but um, it doesn't matter. But you can get a hold of God. I mean, what a wonderful thing. We all can't be, you know, not everybody's going to be a millionaire. Not everybody's going to be a genius. Not everybody, it doesn't matter. But all of us can be filled with the spirit. So let's start there. All right. Um, okay. Anybody have a question for... Um, Ty, we've got 13 more minutes, and I'm going to use the last 13 minutes. Um, we have the greatest African director known to mankind with us, and he is leaving next Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, um, and he's going to not be with us for the next class until God brings him back around or until another child gets married, whatever happens for her, you know, um, but uh, he's going to be leaving, so I would like him to take the last couple minutes. If you would like... Mark, if you'd like to say anything at all, or if they would like to ask a question, whatever you prefer to do. Hey, guys. Good to see everybody again today. Any questions real quick or anything? Who's your favorite kid? <laughs> <laughs> he can tell you who's not. I say my favorite favorite is uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's several at one time. It's, it's Addison, Emily, Audrey, and Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, that's, uh, that's my favorite. Yeah, he was on top of list for a while. <laughs> well, good. Guys, uh, uh, if anybody don't have any questions, we, I just came from a missions conference in Florida. Had a great, great conference. There were five missionaries there. And one of the common themes during the conference was preparation and people being prepared for the mission field. And it just kind of happened, this conference, everybody there at the conference spoke the language of the country they went to before they went to there as a missionary. Of course, I can say that because, you know, I, we do speak English in South Africa, and I, speak, I spoke English before I went. Uh, so that kind of helped, helped the numbers. Uh, but Brother Walter Stevens, who was the main speaker for the conference, uh, just one of my favorite people in the world. He's a uh, gypsy ministry, and he speaks gypsy. Uh, we had a, a missionary, Brother Bushy is a missionary kid in Thailand. They're going back to Thailand. And uh, we had, uh, there was a Brother Vong, he's going to Cambodia, and he was six-year-old. He was born in Thailand, but it was a, he was a, a, a Cambodian refugee who they who was born in Thailand, and then then moved to Los Angeles. Um, so it was just neat being there in the conference with these. And we had one man, uh, he learned Spanish before he started deputation, uh, but they're going to Spain. Uh, and he married a Spaniard, a Spaniard girl. So just, just kind of a neat situation. But, the, you know, they, they were making comments about, hey, we've met vision guys. And one of the common themes that, that they loved about the, the missionaries that were going is they knew that what they were getting into. All these guys had been on the field. All these guys were, some of them lived on the field, some of them were born on the field. Uh, and, and, and they were asking opinions about, you know, the best 
for longevity of missions. And being on the mission field before you were there uh, was such a common theme while we're there. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I was proud of the, uh, the training that we have here, but I was also thinking about, you know, it's important, guys, that you are taking advantage of the training that's before you. Uh, because you can you can hear the same things that somebody else do, uh, hears, but they do something different with it than what you do. Uh, so you have to understand the seriousness. And at this conference, and as you think about it, you know we want you guys to last on the mission field. We want you guys to be able to make it through. Uh, and there's going to be things that you face uh, that you n- never understood. That's what you were going to face on the field. So learn as much as you can. Um, when it comes to, to language, it's such an, a vital part of, of the ministry. If you don't learn the language well, you're always going to suffer. Uh, understand the importance of that. Um, and there's a, all the missionaries that we went, that we were with, uh, talked about the advantages that VBM missionaries had over them, even with them being on the mission field uh, or experiencing the mission field because of the mission's training. And I was encouraged by that because, you know, I, I wasn't bragging about those things to a bunch of other missionaries, but they were talking to me about that, of the missionaries that they had run into uh, on, on deputation and the, and the testimony and the impact that those missionaries made on them as far as the experience they gained before they ever got to the field. So, guys, you have an opportunity. If you, if you're, if you're, if you know God wants you to be a missionary or if you believe God wants you to be a missionary, Man, take the opportunity to learn as much as you possibly can. Guys, these books that you're assigned uh, to read, don't just let it be an assignment. Become an expert in that book. Let that book become a part of you. Uh, let Learn those lessons. Learn as while you're young and your brain is still uh, pliable. Uh, you know, the older you get, the, 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 the more stuck in your ways you become. Uh, Right, right, Nate. So, we, <laughs> we understand that. So, man, just take advantage of it. Uh, so just that was kind of a snapshot uh, of just being there on, in, a, in a missions conference and being around the missionaries. And I'm excited about the missionaries that were there. As a great guy in Cambodia. He's been there for eight years, uh, but he spoke the language before he went. Got a sharp uh, guy from Alabama uh, speak, who's – a musician and his wife is Spaniard and they're going back to Spain and he's a very sharp couple. Really hopeful that the Lord can use them in a great way. Uh, it was a missionary, um, oh, Brother Bushy, had a six-week little old kid. They're, uh, uh, they were just married a year and a half ago uh, and they're going to Thailand and I was talking to him about Thailand about, man, uh, I love that country and the opportunities there and man, just we really wish we had more going on in Thailand because of the need. I think 70, bill, 70 million people there in the country, country of Thailand. Because we have to have more workers. We have to, to do more to get the gospel message to the, they say now over uh, 8 billion people, the world's population, over 4 billion have yet to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Um, but it's, if we really are going to make an impact, we've got to get more serious about it. We've got to get more serious about our training. If we really think we're going to be a man who makes an impact in a country, we can't take that lightly. Uh, the impact you're going to make in the city. Um, 
because it's going to 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 make an impact that we need to see happen in these countries. It's got to be a very competent person. I like what Brother uh, Jeff said about you know God is not looking for one specific personality because He uses all the personalities, all different types of of demeanors, all different types of abilities, of talents and gifts. But you've got to be competent. You've got to be able to, to, to know how to handle, handle situations. You have to learn how to problem solve. You have to l- learn how to ad- adapt. Uh, you've got to be a very competent person. And if you're not competent here uh, in your dorm life, in your student life, in your um, church life, if you're not competent here, this can be very difficult uh, when you uh, arrive on the field. You know, we I'd, I had just a few discussions with Noah the last few days with their situation with Elaney. Uh, the only way that they're going to be able to, to, to make this work for any kind of foreign ministry is for them to be competent and for them to see the challenges that are ahead and, and, and work through those challenges and, and not allow fear to keep them back from what they're going to be facing. Uh, and that's, that's, that's especially true for them, but, it, guys, it's true for every one of you guys. There's going, to be a, 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 there's, all, there's going to be a reason every month why you can quit. And a lot of times people get to the mission field and they realize, what have I done? How can I get out of here? <laughs> and they're just waiting. They're like, I can't. I, to, you know, you talk about in the Asian cult, culture, you don't, you, you don't, People don't want to lose face. I've not found any culture where they want to lose face. Uh, and you're like, how can I get out of here without looking like a quitter, without looking like a loser? How can I do that? And they're just waiting. Maybe, you know, hopefully my wife will get this sickness. Uh, hopefully I will get this sickness. You know. <laughs> yes. yes, America. Uh, and because, because you, have, you have this thing in your mind. And, and, you know, you, you hear the cliche, the grass is always greener on the other side. Everybody always, that's, that's life, guys. I, I've never, I, I've not had a situation where I've never thought, well, man, if I was over here, I bet it would be a lot easier. Hey, if I was here, I bet, man, I wish God would let me be here. I wish, man, that missionary has it so much better. That person has it so much better. It, this grass is always greener. That's the mentality that, that, uh, those ideas uh, will never leave you. Um, but if you really want to do something, guys, you've got to take your, 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 your training serious and you've got to be a competent person uh, and allow the, the Lord to work through you uh, in the areas that you fall short because we all fall short. Uh, but, guys, we've we got to understand the seriousness of what we're doing. We have to understand the seriousness of what we're facing. People come to South Africa and they see the beauty and they think, wow, this would be the easiest place in the world to be a missionary. And I'm telling you, there are definite aspects of South Africa that are preferable over maybe some other countries. But I'm, I, I'm telling you, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in South Africa and I was like, man, why didn't God let me go back to Peru? Why didn't God let me go to Ecuador? Why didn't he go to, you know, there's things you face, you will face Everywhere you are, uh, I was with a new pastor who changed from uh, being in Indiana down to Florida, and 
I'm telling you, he's faced some challenges. I'm like, I'm glad I'm in South Africa. Uh, so, you know, not everybody in this room is going to take this thing serious. We understand that a lot of people are going to quit. A lot of people aren't going to make it. A lot of people are going to, you know, um, have whatever reasons of not doing what God wants them to do. Because we're hoping that there's 10% that do make it. We're hoping there's maybe 20%, maybe 30%, maybe, Lord, man, Todd, maybe we get up to 50%. Uh, I'm not sure our... I'm not sure our faith is, would take us past hoping for more than 50%, but uh, maybe God would do something spectacular. And that just tells us out of our experience of working in missions, we know the majority in this room are not going to be on the mission field like we believe God wants them to or like they believe God wants them to. So that's... Guys, it's, it's, it's in your hands what you're going to do with what you've been given, what you continually be given. Because we have four billion people that need Christ that have never heard, that have never heard what we've heard. I was in the Christian school this past week in a mission conference. I asked the kids, I keep asking kids, can you remember the first time you heard the gospel? How many can... Honestly, to say, I remember the very first time I heard the gospel. T. Wayne, Ashley. Where are the rest of us? Audrey, you grew up in a missionary's home, and you can't remember the first time you heard the gospel? Why is it we can't remember it, guys? It's always been a part of our life. It has always been a part of our life. Now, I, I was saved when I was five, but my mom, uh, or I was saved five or six, but my mom was um, uh, saved when I was five, so we weren't in church until I was five. But I know I went to VBSs before that. I knew I can, there's some vague memories that I may have heard something there. I don't remember anything when I was five, but I know I heard the gospel when I was five on a regular basis. The first time, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I remember when I trusted Christ, and I remember explaining to someone what that meant before I was baptized. But we don't remember it because we... No, but guys, the majority of the world is like T. Wayne and Ashley. They remember it because it's, it wasn't that long ago. So, let's take our training serious. Amen, amen. Amen. Appreciate that. Two minutes. Anybody want to ask anything um, before we head out? You know, God's, um, every one of us have a lot more blessings uh, than we, we realize. Remember James 1, I think it's verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Right? Um and when we don't say thank you, Lord, and realize our blessings, really we're kind of spitting in the face of the one who gives the blessings. Um, and we have a lot. We've been blessed a lot. The gospel, but even our upbringing, even our opportunities now, even the tools which we can reach out and grab, um, a lot of different things. And uh, so 
take it seriously. Um, B, we will be held accountable for all that we've received. And as the Lord said about many, he said, if Sodom and Gomorrah had what you had, if Tyre and Sidon would have heard what you heard. I, I mean, how many times? And that was, he was telling these Jews like he was standing right in front of. He's like, y'all have it, right? And, and us as well. The Bible even talks about the dangers it is uh, being a, a preacher or a teacher of God's word because we have so much and we're going to be held at a different standard. And sometimes I think, um, Lord, I almost wish I didn't know or didn't get to, you know, say so, like, cause what a dangerous thing, right? Um, cause God's given us this. Well, God's been very good. Take it seriously. And, uh, what an important thing, you know, throughout the day we've, um, had that, you know, the, the basic disciplines, pray and read your Bible, be witnessing and all these things, everything that's right at our hand, we know what to do. And we finish the day by brother Mark saying, all right, take it seriously. And we should, right? Take it seriously. All right. Anybody have a question? Five, four, comment? Please do. Yes, sir. Lydia is on that list of favorite kids, too. She, I just didn't see her, so she was not. So my favorite kids are Audrey, Lydia, Emily, Ashley, and <laughs> right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, uh, let me say this. Um, we're going to go ahead and go. We've got um, several different um, new brochures that came in this week, uh, both VVM brochures. Um, we've got the new 2024 mission strip brochures. And then uh, we're supposed to have today the new Our Generation Training Center brochures. Uh, very nice as well. They don't arrive shipping. They don't arrive until Monday. Uh, but we've got several different brochures um, and several different mission strips. China tour, different ones. Uh, so we got a lot of different things. They're always downstairs in the Hudson Taylor building. If you'd like to grab any, whether you take them to the church where you're serving, um, you know, you give them out, uh, whether you use them or whatever, uh, they're always there uh, for missionaries that are on deputation. They're always there. You can always grab that stuff. And so we praise the Lord for that. Um, okay, let's go ahead and pray and we will be dismissed. Mark, why don't you uh, dismiss us? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day's forgiveness. We thank you for the opportunity we have to, to learn and study your word. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. God, I pray that you bless them and use them in a special way. Lord, I pray that we uh, will keep our eyes on uh, your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be yielded to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that uh, we will become more like your son. Lord, I pray that our desire and our ambitions will be not what we want, but what you want. We love you and thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. And uh, help us, Lord, to magnify and glorify you in all we say and do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.